Hi and welcome to Dario Gutiesco podcast. This is your host, Dario Gutiesco, broadcasting from Munich, Germany. In this episode, I will be talking and discussing with Mariana, the founder of the VAR Hyperloop team. She also has a doctorate degree in the area of smart, sustainable cities. Among the topics we will be covering in this podcast will be how to start your career in programming for free. We will be talking about computer science, her experience about working in the Hyperloop project founded by SpaceX. Another topic will be sustainable mobility, sustainable cities, as well as the UN sustainability goals. And now, let's get started. Hi, Mariana, welcome. How are you doing? Hi, Dario. Thank you so much for having me today. Very glad to be here. I, I think, uh, I mean, it was supposed to, we were supposed to have this conversation here, like to, to do it in person, but unfortunately, in these times, it's a little bit complicated. So, um, yeah, I would also have preferred it personally, but I'm traveling home this week and I don't want to take unnecessarily risks. So yes. maybe let's thank technology for having this option as well, right? Yes, yes. Actually, don't complain about it because, uh, as you said, like we also want to ha have some good holidays. So no. it, it's not only you, me, or whatever. So it's like good, good to have this opportunity before ending the year. So thank you very much. So I, I first want to, uh, to talk a little bit about your profile, if you are okay with that. So just so people know who you are and, and why we're having this conversation. And so first of all, I think um, one of the things we were talking before uh, starting um, um, the conversation, the official, officially recording the conversation, um, like how happy or how glad am I, I am that you are also here as a entrepreneur, as a woman, as a, as a Latin also. You know, like you, you, you are the whole deal. You're the big deal. You know, like you, you just are killing it, in my opinion, and that's really, really amazing, in my opinion. I'm inspired, by the way. So really, most of the things, not things for which I take credit. I mean, I definitely don't take credit for being a Latina. Um, also, do the Brazilians classify as Latinos? Those, that's like yes. one of the questions that people yes. will never get a good answer to. Yes. Like all South America, just put that. All South American. I, I've heard Brazilians have like two different opinions on those. So I've heard people saying that Latinos must speak Spanish and then Brazilians get very annoyed because we don't speak Spanish and we get annoyed if people think that we speak Spanish. I, maybe you have heard it, but uh, Italians are also sometimes considered. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, but if you consider the Italians and the Spanish, then I also, <laughs> then we also fit in. Yeah. And, and I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying that that's a, your biggest accomplishment or so by any <laughs> means. What I'm saying is just like, it's amazing to see that on top of what you already achieved. And, then, okay. let, and let me tell what is that about so everybody knows. So you are uh, from, uh, originally from Brazil, Sao Paulo. Um, you studied also computer science, your bachelor's degree. Also your master's degree is also in, in computer science, is that right? Uh, and uh, you finally got your PhD, your doctorate back in September this year. Congratulations in uh, applied software engineering. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, great. Um, you also were the founder and project leader of UAR Hyperloop team back in 2017. Uh, in that in that period, you won the first oh, wait, place. Uh, no, no, no. One second. Small correction. I was I founded the team in 2015, but okay. the competition. 
uh, was 2017. You have the competition it did at the beginning of 2017. Okay. So it's like mid 2015 to beginning 2017. So that's like the one and a half years that come in place. But I actually started in 2015. Uh, when... So you were preparing for that competition? Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. You will let, let us know or explain us a little bit more about a little bit, bit later. And in this competition, you won the first place in the SpaceX competition for the fastest spot. Is that correct? Great. So you were also, uh, you also have many awards. That was, there were so many that um, I got just at the top two or three. Like uh, you, were all, you were included in the inspiring 50 women in the DAC region last year. Yes. So yes. that's, that's kind of cool. 2019. So that's actually pretty good. Uh, you're also a panelist. You're a speaker, a keynote speaker. Yes. You're author of several publications. You're also the co-ambassador of the Munich Geekities. So you will also let me know what, what that is about. Uh, uh, yes. Okay. And uh, finally, you are also an entrepreneur a, and co-founder, project lead and uh, developer in, uh, how do you pronounce it? Mui. 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 So uh, that's what I said, like on top of every, all of this, you're also um, here sharing some wisdom with us. It's a very mixed background, that for sure. No, but that's so totally, totally interesting. And I have lived in five different countries. Okay, including China, Italy, Germany? No, no, not Italy. In, so Brazil, Germany, China, Singapore, I count Singapore as a country. It is a country. Yes, uh, And the United <laughs> States. I actually lived two years in the US. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's actually like a lot of things you have accomplished and done. And you are so young for that, I, 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 like compared to other people, oh, I think. Thank you. That sounds good to hear. Yeah. You know, like uh, some, when you start comparing ages and what people normally does or normally do, sorry. Um, yeah, you, you're like. It's, it's interesting because I took way too long to finish my studies. I like, I, I took forever to finish my studies. I just extended my studies hundreds of times. I extended it because I was working. I extended it because I went to China as if that wasn't enough. I needed to go to Singapore after that. Then I, uh, then at some point, like I finally managed to complete a bachelor and it's like, cool, now let's get do the master quite uh, quick, quick, right? Um, nope, started a hyperloop in the process, extended it because of the hyperloop, extended the masters because of the hyperloop. So indeed, I always thought that I was too old for what I was because I extended, I just took forever to graduate. Um, but then I think I caught up a bit with a PhD because like when I started my PhD, I knew from day one that my professor was retiring. So I had the huge advantage of having a deadline to the whole mm -hmm. thing, which is something normal doctorate people don't have. And I think I used that a bit of, probably the only reason why I ever finished, by the way. Um, and now I think I caught up. But like up until the end of my master's, I had this huge problem with myself because I thought, oh my God, I'm so old. I'm still studying. Like, how can it be that I'm still st uh, studying? I, uh, I finished my master's with 27. It's like, it's 27. I'm 27 and don't even have a master's degree. And I had a huge problem with it. Yeah, no, okay. but think about it. Like you are uh, um, 30 right now, 29? 31. 31, okay, almost. So you're in this age range. But just think about it, like who in the world, in a percentage, has a, doctor, a PhD already at 30, 31? Which percentage of the world has a PhD in the first place, right? Which exactly. Percentage, probably so, much more than the percentage of the world that needs a PhD. So we can go into this whole conversation yeah. uh, if we even need people with PhD exactly. uh, or not. 
Yeah, exactly. So I would say less than one percent in the world. So um, yeah, at least some more people who need a PhD. <laughs> Yeah, that, that makes... more people have it than people need it. Definitely that. I totally agree with that. No, yeah, and uh, no, it's totally you know, yeah, true. Um, but I mean, it. I think it talks a lot about uh, what you have done so far. So, and I think also talks a lot about your work ethic and uh, your mindset. So you maybe will share us a bit about that a little uh, and a bit later. But first of all, I would like to ask you, why did you start in? in computer science like why in this STEM field like it that's look I'm also an engineer yeah. industrial engineer so some a lot of people say that's not an engineer so I take that aside no, no, it is, it is, it is, it is. okay I'm so, not sure if computer science is an engineering is it is computer science and engineering we could also have a conversation about that <laughs> okay uh, so, I know I know people on both sides of that conversation why computer science so honest 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 answer it was completely random Okay. It was 1000% random. Um, I actually, it was actually not my first choice. It was actually not my second choice. It was my third choice. And you only land, you only end up setting your third choice if random things happen in the way which they did. So my, right after, so I finished school in Brazil. And once I finished school in Brazil, you always like at the end of high school, you always had that phase, oh my God, what I'm going to do, which study. And I had zero idea what I wanted, right? Like zero. The one thing I knew is I liked math and I liked building stuff uh, or playing around and I had had a blog, you know, like these things you do when you're 16. Uh, so I had coded in HTML and I, uh, today I don't think that's coding, but back then I had like uh, open HTML and I thought that was amazing, right? Um, but my first uh, option, which I actually enrolled for and actually studied for one year, so also one of the reasons why I took too long to graduate, I studied one year business administration. Uh, and the Technical University of Munich actually has this business administration course with a lot of engineering to it. So I always knew I wanted something with engineering because I like the math and I like like the applied approach of it. Um, and they had this business administration engineering course, which I thought was, hey, cool, I get to do a bit of both. I enrolled that. I studied that for a one year. I had just moved from Brazil to Germany. So and quick, quick question: How the how does how did that happen? Like, uh, did you just did you just came with the idea? I want to go to Germany because why not? Or uh, what happened? <laughs> I was so this this is where we start talking about privilege, right? Um, definitely not everyone can do what I did. Um, and the reason why I came to Germany is I went to a Swiss school. Uh, so I started having some German already in Brazil mm -hmm. and I went to a Swiss school in Brazil. And so going to a Swiss school in Brazil is definitely a lot of privilege. Um, and I knew I wanted to study outside of Brazil. And then you start talking, okay, where can I afford? So US was out of the list because it's quite expensive. Then Swiss school, you obviously think about Switzerland, but as a foreigner, Iteha is actually expensive and I did not have the grades for Iteha. Um, and then when you do the price quality measurement as a, uh, as a high school student, the TUM actually goes quite up. I mean, it's a very good university, very cheap. Uh, so indeed, I decided more for TUM than for Germany. Okay, okay. Um, so yeah, TUM. And, and I had visited Munich already during my high school years, and I love the city to this day. I still love the city. Uh, coolest city in the world, if you ask me. Maybe cool is the wrong word. We can talk about this later. <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, I had come over and I enrolled in uh, business administration with engineering. Mm -hmm. And this was in German and I had just landed from Brazil and my German was horrible. So I knew enough German to even get admitted because you need to pass the German exam to even get admitted. And since I had passed the German exam, I thought I knew German, okay? So I thought like, I passed the exam, it will be okay, well handed. I arrive at classes and they talk to me like legal German or business German, which has like these words and I'm completely lost, like so lost. I failed all the subjects except the math subjects. Yeah, because math is your language, right? I, 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 math, math doesn't matter the language. Math is universal. Math, you don't need to, you don't need the language, right? And so, yeah, I failed everything. I, I was uh, so quite just from failing everything and from knowing how hard it was, I realized quite early on in the process that I didn't want it and I wanted to change uh, subjects. And then I was like in the situation, I actually like Munich and love the city and definitely like the life. I like, every, I, I, I had friends here. I like everything except university which is how it's like okay instead of going back to brazil let's change courses right uh and since i had failed everything like you have no idea what everything means i had failed everything um i applied for a new course as soon as registrations open because i knew like i don't want to do this i applied as the second that registrations open i applied and i actually applied to mechatronics because it's like you know what now i'm going to follow the engineering dream now let's do now let's be the engineer and now let's do this let's go for a difficult stuff first let's, let's, let's go for the engineering league uh, mechatronics Let, let's do this and uh, it's a bit of computer science a, a, a bit of engineering it's the awesome mix yeah mechatronics um i got rejected <laughs> well just um, I, uh, maybe maybe we can give a little bit more context for it because um uh, coming outside from germany uh, uh, maybe you experienced that and i also experienced that but maybe in germany it's already known for saying something like that and um it's it's actually like like public uh, here the, the education in, in germany is public most of it yes. so the yes. best education is public and it's yes. cheap by the way uh cheap is cheap like i think like you pay like i don't know 20 euros 140 euros per semester yeah it's nothing so yeah, yeah you For pay more in beer uh, in a month the is an amazing university i can be some fan girl yeah. here but cheap doesn't mean bad so by the way so. yes cheap as in inexpensive exactly because it's publicly funded basically exactly so uh and, and it's actually and it's really hard to get into 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 many programs um mm -hmm. because there's a lot of competition so uh i, I also i also tried was no you know like walking the park and they were like oh now i know why like it's really competitive with people here so yeah. so maybe for you that's what that was also the case i know i know exactly why i got rejected indeed um i got rejected because i i said i went to the swiss school right and at the swiss school i had done this international bachelor to diploma which got recognized as equivalent to the abitur and in this diploma we mm, had only a few subjects so not all of the subjects so i had my math high level like advanced math because i loved math back then um i had i don't even remember what are all the subjects i had but very importantly i did not have physics mm -hmm. inside of this diploma i did not have physics not even uh, in the basic module and neither basic nor advanced physics i only had it in the brazilian uh, diploma uh, because basically, because my school didn't offer the course, they uh, back then there wasn't an option to do physics in there. It's not that I didn't want it; it's just that it wasn't an option. 
Um, and therefore, um, and I mean, it's completely fair from two sides to require physics if you're going to study engineering, right? And physics was a, um, a requirement for mechatronics. So basically I got rejected from mechatronics and uh, for that same reason, I uh, went around and I talked to people and I discovered uh, that. And for that same reason, I would get rejected in all the courses of the mechanical engineering faculty because physics was a requirement for all the courses in the mechanical engineering faculty. So now I had the situation where I was like, okay, I hate the course that I'm studying. I can't study anything in the mechanical engineering faculty. I could go back to Brazil, but that's not really what I wanted because I actually like my life here. And I guess the only lucky thing in this whole story is that I applied as soon as uh, applications opened, which means that by the time that I got the answer and the rejections, I had three days before applications closed. So you, uh, what do I choose from here? <laughs> so I had three days to register to try to apply for a different course. Um, for uh, yeah for a different course for something else and that's where computer science came in computer science was outside of the mechanical engineering faculty i had a friend at this point um, that already studied uh, computer science and he told me about it and i mean i did like computers and i did i had coded in html um and that's when i applied to computer science uh, so like third choice okay <laughs> i landed there um, did pass, did get in, uh, thankfully. And I'll tell you one thing, it was one of the, uh, I say that there are like two amazing decisions that I did in my life, probably three, I probably need to find a third one by now. The first one was moving to Germany. The second one was choosing computer science. Uh, it was completely random, but definitely, definitely, definitely worth it. Um, it was the ultimate proof that it was the right decision when after one semester of computer science, I had more ECTS uh, that I had passed than after one year of business wow. administration. No, that's so good. You know, like sometimes we need some kind of luck and it seems like you made your decision and everything just starting to fall into place. So It took one year to get to the correct place, but you know what, we're better late than never. Yeah, so you know, like good things happen when you don't quit. So that's one of the examples. <laughs> cool. But then like, okay, you got your studies, already maybe okay after a while maybe three years i don't know how, how, how long i took longer than i i extended my studies forever uh, i literally forgot how long it took me to study but i can open in my uh cv if you want to yeah no i have it somewhere here so if we want to have some um yeah. data um I, I, yeah but you know like we i think we started almost at the same time um really? here here's you said that you started in 2009 so yes I, I started yes i started my bachelor's in 2009 oh i see oh, no, well, wait, okay my, my bachelor's started in 2010 so 2009 i started business administration 2010 i started computer science i see i see yeah 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 so yeah yeah okay now i see why it took a time but okay but I, in the meantime like you were also developing your own goals i mean maybe what what what, what were your expectations about like starting that and what was the next step for that I really liked it. I really, really, really liked it. And I, I still have like the first, my, so I had never coded before. Uh, my first line of code was in introduction to computer science, first week of university. And I wrote Hello World in Java and like that awesome moment where you write your first Hello World program. And even if 16 year old me did think that she had done something that was HTML, HTML is not a programming language. So we're not considering it. Okay. Um, 
even if 16 year old me would disagree. Um, so yeah, in university, I st I mean, you start with Java and programming and then you very fastly realize the whole potential and everything that is possible uh, in this whole new huge world. Um, and it's very easy to fall in love with all the possibilities in there, right? Like when you're learning how to code, you really have this this sense that everything is possible. The only uh, blocker between what is possible and what is happening is your ability to make it work. And is it possible though? In your opinion? Possible? Huh? In your opinion? If everything is possible. Yeah. Most things, yes. Everything, everything is probably an over-exaggerated, but most things probably is. Most things, like, is there also a point, how are you defining possible, right? If, is yes. it possible to reach perfection and everything? Probably not. Is it possible to get something working for everything and having like a prototype? Usually, even if you have to make a lot of compromises in functionality or in cost or in time or in whatever, uh, usually you can get something working. You, you don't need to be perfect always. No, but, it, but yeah, but you know, like I ask you because um, but like, I think first of all, you need to understand programming in the first place, whatever the language is, to understand the possibilities, I guess, because yes. I, I think there is a big barrier, at least in my, from my own perspective, is I, I, I think I told you the last time that we met each other, um, there is a barrier for, at least for myself or people like myself that, uh, like, yeah, to code, because it's like, I understand something but when the comp, like, uh, I don't know if it's a specific language or so, but when, when everything starts getting more complicated, like how do I translate everything that I'm thinking into that? And uh, first you need to- question, do you code? Uh, I tried to do some basic stuff, but then I was like, okay, I think this is not right. <laughs> I need to play to my strengths. Let me answer the question for you. Try to do some basic stuff is yes, you do, okay? So then that's where the experience comes in. So basically you code, but you lack the experience of sitting down and doing something big, right? Okay. Which is valid, that's not what you work with. So it's completely valid. Um, I mean, if making, yeah. making a line is coding, then I did. <laughs> but you, no, I'm not yeah. saying I just did a line, but. I do think that writing a function and I do think, I mean, obviously there is the base, uh, you can obviously get much, much, much more complex than that, right? But I, I do think that people should, I mean, I, if, I think if everyone in the world coded at that level, the world would be a better place. That I do think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't need everyone to be the huge specialist or anything like that, but just like that, the basic level, I think, because from then on, it's basically logic and complexity. So you need to organize and, and mm -hmm. getting some ideas of what are the best ways to organize and there are like standard practices of design patterns and architectures of how to do this uh, which is what you spend the rest of the computer science uh uh for course learning um but that's basically how to organize things and the mathematical complexity mm -hmm. of it but that's just adding complexity and organization layers to it okay i have a quick question for you about regarding this topic so like, um, so we have computer science. Mm -hmm. I think not everybody is capable to organize their thoughts to do yes. that. Do you think so? I think that is definitely the reason why many people have uh, problems coding. And that is probably the reason for so many of the bugs and so many of the systems worldwide. Okay. Um, problem organizing thing, that's definitely a hard thing to do. That is definitely an important uh, uh, skill when programming large systems, at least large systems. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, definitely. Okay, so it's, in your opinion, everybody can do it. I, I absolutely, Good. I absolutely, one hundred percent think that everyone who wants to ca code can learn how to code. Okay, is there is there a, a path for anybody that is watching this? Because right now we're starting in a in a basic mode, you know. Like first, this is this is for dummies like myself, and then we start, <laughs> and then we start going into more complicated stuff. So, so the path is first choose a programming language. If you are completely unaware and lost in which one to choose, a decent starting one is something like Python because it's very easy. Uh, you can always do the JavaScript, but uh, JavaScript. I'm, I'm not a JavaScript fan. I have a problem with JavaScript. Um, so no, I, I, I love Python. Python is amazing. Um, if you want to do big complex systems and you may want to do something Java, then Java uh, definitely has its advantages. If you just want to get something working fast and easy, then Python is usually easier. Okay. Um, so first uh, step is decide your language. Second step is Google programming language tutorial. And the second you do that, we'll probably get like millions of search results because, uh, and that's where it actually starts to get hard um, because that's the step where it starts to get a bit overwhelming, right? Yes. Um, and unfortunately, this is only going out later this week because actually tomorrow at exactly this time, uh, the Munich Tickets are hosting an event called Embracing Coding where we're going to talk exactly about this topic. So I don't want to spoil too much of our event tomorrow. Uh, don't worry, by the time this is going to be posted. Uh, by the time this is posted, the event will be over. Yeah, true. So for anyone watching this later, follow the Munich Geekettes uh, on Facebook, Instagram. We're so awesome. Okay, uh, so we're going to post what happened uh, in this. In this uh, we can talk about it. Not sure. That's not currently planned, but that would be interesting. Maybe. You, you can do a Facebook Live, you know, with a cell phone. Uh, well, uh, we can, can talk about this. Can discuss. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, second step is Googling and finding yourself a tutorial. Um, then depending on the language, you may need to install some software to even be able uh, to get the programming language to run, which is the step that most people give up on. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, so that's for me is like the one advantage of JavaScript is that everyone in the world, uh, every computer in the world has a program that wants JavaScript because every browser does and everyone has a browser in their computer installed, right? That's a step where people usually get lost. Uh, so for Python, you do need to install a packet, for example, to run Python code mm -hmm. uh, if it doesn't come. So some operating systems, it comes automatically, but not all. Mm -hmm. um, and that is definitely a step where many people get lost because it gets it starts getting scary and you start install, installing things in your machine that you don't completely understand. Um, so the one thing I can pro I can only recommend is don't give up at that step. That step is and and if you give up at that step, then I'd rather you learn JavaScript than don't learn anything. Then if if you're scared of that step, then go for JavaScript. Okay. Uh, even if I don't like JavaScript, I will I will allow it uh, to come up in that one case. Okay. Um, and, and then it's basically sitting and practicing and going and like sitting practicing. Uh, coding is really something that you learn by doing. Um, it, it's much more about the practice than about the theory, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm -hmm. There are probably people who would disagree with this, but I think the easiest way to learn is by hands on sitting down and doing it. So one person that doesn't have, the, let's say, the opportunity to go and have a, a degree, let's say a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a PhD degree into, into computer science or informatics, you can learn it by Googling it. YouTube and practicing and get good at it yes. if you want. Uh, yes, yes, so much yes. I mean, honestly, just by Google, you can learn so much. And there are actually some very cool programs. 
So just last week or two weeks ago, I don't have. In 2020, time is an abstract concept. Yes. Time does not exist in 2020. Um, I do not know if this, this is one or two weeks ago, but recently I just had a talk with the people from CodeJam, for example. Uh, CodeJam, actually, CodeJam. Um, and they are a coding school in Amsterdam. And I talked to the people from the Amsterdam chapter, but they actually have things all over the world. And basically, they will teach you everything you need to get a job. It's not just to code, it's to get a job in programming and in, uh, in software engineering without you ever attending university. And everyone can do it. Um, I mean, yeah, they have, you can go online and search for the application. I, I think it's just like, like Ready School. Like, uh, I think it's, it's similar. similar. It's a bit so. Codam uh, has a bit of their own methodology, and they, yes. they were talking to me about. They basically gamified studying, which I thought was like amazing. So you have levels, and you need to uh, pass on to the levels. And I thought it was a really cool curriculum slash concept, so like gamifying. It's more um, like a challenge. <laughs> yes, it is more like a challenge, and coding is a challenge. It makes complete sense. Um, but yeah, uh, in Munich you also have ready schools. There are so many schools uh, worldwide. I mean, it's basically a question of how well, much time you want to put into it, right? Obviously, the more time you put into it, the better you get. Yeah, I think right now what I am trying to, uh, to uh, how do I say, to get from at least this information that you're giving us is it how, how can you just land everything that is out there and just put it in, in, into your simple steps? Because I think that's one of the more complicated things that, that anybody can do. And uh, asking you that having all this information and all this experience is just like, dude, just go there, follow the, 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 the tutorial, the YouTube tutorial, stick to it, try it. I should have gotten it. If I knew you were going to get, if I knew I was going to get that question, I would have prepared my little plate. Um, my boyfriend gave to me as a present a um, plate. Uh, which is like one step at a time. It's like this stick figure going up the stairs and it just says in it's a bubble called one step at a time. Yeah. And that's probably the present that I got that most uh, defines myself because that's really my life motto, you know? One step at a time. One, not 20, yeah. not zero, one. Don't, don't do 20 things at the same time. Do one step at a time. So first step, decide the language, install the things. Uh, after, you install, after you install the compiler or whatever you need to install, next step, Print hello world. Very simple step. Yeah. Print hello world. Um, if you want to go after that, you can transform hello world into a function. Every uh, that instead of printing hello world can print whichever argument you get as a parameter of a function. And those are small steps, but simply the fact that you're making progress already motivates you a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Already motivates you to keep forward. I think one of the places where people get lost is like, my code doesn't work. I have no idea why. I've been debugging this for 25 hours and I'm making no progress. And then that's where it starts to get frustrating and people get lost. Um, but I'm a huge believer that, and, and you know what? If then you ask for help, and those are the place, uh, the steps that, that will happen, that has happened to everyone. If you ask for help, it's usually such a small thing mm -hmm. that you're just so tired and you overlooked. Yeah, yeah. And the second someone helps you out with it's like, ah, that was so obvious. Yeah. Like ah, you just need some fresh eyes on your work, maybe. Yeah. That ah moment is the moment people actually do learn how to code, and everyone has had that moment. Everyone. Yeah, and, and the, uh, the other reason why I'm asking you this is because uh, one of the things that we talked last time uh, that me, me we met each other and before starting this conversation is that uh, also the importance of uh, let's say uh, bringing this information to in this case specifically to women like just. So, so they can see that it's also possible and, and doable and it's 
So they don't need to be afraid of going into sciences and computers and maybe engineering as long as they have interest, right? Because if they are not interested, then yeah, it's not. To but. any woman uh, or girl, whatever age watching this, anytime in the future, if you want to learn how to code and want to do something, um, to go in that direction and you're stuck in whichever point it is and you're about to give up, LinkedIn me. If you link at me, you can find me. Write me in LinkedIn. <laughs> write me. I'd much rather you write me than you give up, okay? At any point in the future. <laughs> um, and uh, me or anyone else on, uh, on the internet, there are hundreds of people in the internet that will help you out with these things. Uh, much, many of them 1,000 times better than I am. I'm not, I'm not the best coder in the world. I really, really am uh, not. I got rejected at the Google software engineering interview. Um, I also got rejected at other software engineering interviews other than Google. Um, but, but because I really am not the, mo the best software engineer, if you want someone to write the most perfect code on the planet, you can always find someone that will be able to do that better than I can. Uh, but so often, and it's not about writing the most perfect code on the planet. It's about getting it to work. It's about making like the first, like the first step. First, get it to work, and then refactor, and then uh, make it pretty and uh, efficient and optimized and all, and organized and structured and tested. Please test um, and all of that. But first, get it to work, and then improve on it. And then improve on it, and. Take however many iterations improving on it as time allows you to. Functional first, then aesthetics. The people from test-driven development would probably kill me at this point because they first write the test-driven uh, test development, TDD, is this programming uh, practice where you first write the test and then make it work. Uh, and the idea behind it is if you write the test, then you know what you need to pay attention to and then you will get it to work. But even in the TDD field where you first write the test, then make it work, then refactor it. You still have the fact refactor it and make it pretty before writing new tests and uh, covering new cases. Even then, it's uh, first test and getting it to work, and uh, then only then making it pretty. Don't try to make it perfect on the first um, turn. Please, please don't. First, get it to work. Okay, I'm gonna take a step for a step backwards. And what is possible for someone that wants to code? Because uh, at least in from my conception is okay. Websites, apps. Uh, technology, uh, but like, I mean, as simple as possible, right? So it's like, oh, I would like to make an app, you know, and it's like, okay, but what kind of an app? And I don't know exactly what kind of functionality or whatever I want to do. So, and not knowing how to code, then that's also a problem. And it's like, okay, I don't know. So then yeah. I give up. Uh, gets us back to the discussion, which is the first language to go through and what mm -hmm. is possible definitely depends on which language you're going with. Um, so if you want to do an app, then your go-to languages are going to be either Swift for iOS uh, or Kotlin slash for Android. Uh, Android supports both. Um, but I mean, uh, Swift, I, I don't know Kotlin, but I do know Swift. Um, Swift is a very cool language and you can, it's even actually if you're rich enough to have uh, Apple devices everywhere, um, that's probably the biggest, biggest disadvantage of Swift, it requires Apple devices. Um, so if you have that, uh, Swift is also a very interesting programming language because you can quite fastly uh, do in Apple Playgrounds just a very um, simple thing and from there on uh, do it into an application and you can even copy paste the code from the playground to the app and it will still work. 
So if you are rich enough to have, have Apple devices, you can always use Swift. If not, um, I don't know enough Kotlin to, see, to say if I would recommend it or not, but I will talk about other things other than uh, apps. Uh, or especially other than native apps, we get us. It gets us back to um, my JavaScript script. Uh, my JavaScript hate. Uh, uh, if you want to do a website, um, JavaScript for sure. And even uh, and if you want to do a website, there are hundreds of like thousands, probably thousands of online helpers and online builders and website builders out there. Um, if you want to do a website, just get to any WordPress thing or whatever, but that's yeah. still not coding. Uh, coding, you, you, it's considered coding the second you start using some logic to it. So if you're just doing HTML and CSS, that's not coding. If you're doing JavaScript, then that is coding. Um, and um, so if you want to do something with a easy user interface and just an easy website, you can go for JavaScript. The reason why I personally hate it uh, is because it's a language that a is very hard to be your first language because it has very bad error messages. So you always get to the point where it's not working and then you need to read the error message and try to debug it. Doing that in JavaScript is really hard because the error messages that you get back are just like the most useless things on the planet, like honestly. <laughs> and the second reason I don't like JavaScript is that um, they skipped a few of the very important programming concepts uh, that just completely doesn't apply there. Uh, so that's the problem with that. But it is a very easy, you can get something very simple quite easy. It gets a bit harder when you scale. Uh, if you are less tight on the user interface uh, point, if you just want to train the logic for it, uh, train the logic of programming and get amazing things to work, uh, but you're okay with maybe just a graph output or a console or a log output, then definitely Python. Python is beautiful because A, the syntax is super simple. You print uh, quotation marks, hello world, quotation marks, close parenthesis, that's it. Uh, Python has a beautiful, simple syntax. Um, yeah, really awesome, amazing. Um, and it is very, very, very powerful in that it has hundreds uh, of amazing libraries, like very complicated mathematical uh, optimization things. In Python, it's a two-liner because it's import whatever, uh, import uh, numpy np dot complicated function will do anything you want. In Python, very complex things are a two-liner. Um, and that makes it much easier to just like see the whole things uh, evolve, right? And then it's really easy to do very complex things. That's the reason I like Python. You can, it's a perfect language to just prototype anything super fast. And disadvantage though is uh, the user interface, there are ways to do user interface on it, but it's, it gets a bit harder. Um, but if you can live with just a log and some graphs, amazing graphs uh, frameworks in Python, then definitely Python. Do you have an example, by the way, uh, that you applied this? So just to, to, to do it more tangible. An example where I applied this? Yes. Um, well, example where I applied Python definitely many times. Like, uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. So I was working on this project where we had um, uh, we had bus um, we had home addresses for many a few thousand people I think okay um, and I converted those home addresses to lat long so that I just had the geo coordinates of everyone okay and basically what I needed to do was get um, create a bus route that connects all these people as easy as possible okay 
uh, to basically pick up all of these different people, a bus route that will do that. So the, and here we go one step at a time, right? For me, the first step is, okay, we need a bus route. What are the bus stops? Okay. And if you go a bit into the mathematical side, one way to, uh, and if you graph all of these different points, basically what you want to do um, is group people into a single stop, right? Mm -hmm. And the second, the, the, and the mathematical theory side, the second you start thinking about the group, you start thinking, you're talking about clusters, okay? Uh, please note that at this point, I had no knowledge about uh, clustering algorithms whatsoever. <laughs> I just knew that I needed, I wanted to group people together into a bus stop because I've considered that finding the bus stop would be the first step in uh, doing a bus route, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, short Google about how to cluster um, people close together gave me the answer that uh, K, um, K means clustering algorithm. Uh, quite complex clustering algorithm. Uh, that does exactly this. <laughs> and it, it's called k-means because it will output k, um, k points in the middle, uh, in the mean uh, of the group, basically. That's how the algorithm works. Uh, very complex algorithm that does that, that calculates these points. And you need to give the number of the k, the number of groups as an input to the uh, algorithm. Very complex algorithm that, I mean, not very complex, but relatively complex algorithm that does that can definitely understand it if you want to um, and look into the algorithm itself. I didn't need to look into the algorithm itself. <laughs> Python two-liner. It's a two-liner in Python. <laughs> uh, uh, um, I don't remember if it was NumPy or Pandas. I think it was NumPy. I'm pretty sure it was NumPy. Uh, it has the algorithm implemented to you. You just, and bam, there you have uh, the center of the um, specific groups and those are your bus stops. Yeah, and then and then you are done with it. And then you graph it. Then I, I graph. Uh, I mean, want to see it, right? So I, I love maps. I love maps. Uh, I think uh, maps are one of the coolest data types that there that exists. Uh, geographic information systems are, hmm, uh, <laughs> tell you so much about society. Um, and then you, I mapped it. It's like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a point that would make sense. Sometimes it would be like. Uh, I think I had one case where it was in the middle of the river because that was the mean, the middle of the um, uh, group. So, I mean, adjusted it to the road next to it and you have then some manual adjustment process in it. Connect um, each of them to the ones that's close to it and voila, you have a bus route. Okay. Took me an afternoon, a bit more than an afternoon, a bit more than an afternoon to... Uh, so like the appli application would, so. would be to optimize the uh, timing and... Uh, and uh, the, how to say that, the distance they are using and reducing fuel. I mean, you, so that, and, then, and then it brings us to the next point, right? So if you want to optimize the distance traveled, if you want to optimize, um, if you want to optimize the waiting time, how much people need to walk from their house to the bus station, if you want to optimize all of those things, you definitely can. And then it will definitely take you longer than the six hours that it took me, right? But the first step is getting something to work. Okay. The first step is get the bus stops. I, I connected, I'm quite sure I connected them even manually on the first side. It's like, oh, this one is next to this one, so let's go this. And I'm quite sure I even connected them manually because the first step is getting it to work. After that, you can think about, oh yeah, here's the river, so you need to put next to it. If you do this, then the uh, distance will be a bit better. And you can even add like complicated optimization algorithms behind it, but that's not the first step. That's step number two or three. Okay. But in this case, uh, for, for the application, would that be for, let's say, for uh, planning purposes, like to planning the expansion of a city or the... the, the, the... It wasn't for planning the expansion of a city. 
um, it wasn't for planning the expansion of the city. No, it was for planning infrastructure. It was actually for planning infrastructure. <laughs> okay, uh, but planning a bus route. Because uh, let's say the, the bus company, maybe they don't know what you know. So you have you can gather some information uh, with their with a GPS and then just put it into the, into your program, and it's like, oh no, you should go here, 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 because it, this will be better for your. The for the people, because then they walk, so basically through the K-means algorithm, people were uh, walking less to the bus stop. That's exactly what the algorithm uh, optimizes okay. for. So it basically calculates okay. the middle of it. It basically finds groups and calculates the middle of the group so that it's the uh, furthest distance to each person in the group. I remember I remember I was doing something like this back in, in, in at, at the university. I don't remember how was the name called, but, but I didn't. So in industrial engineering, what we used to do, in some of the classes was to optimize things. So that's like the industrial engineer does, right? So you need to optimize a process. And uh, I remember we were doing a project about um, queues. It was always about the problem about the queues, like queues in the supermarket, queues at the bank, queues in, uh, in, a, in a line, uh, production line. And it's like, okay, where is the bottleneck? And how do we actually uh, just redistribute everything? So this will not become the bottleneck, but once you change it, the, the next part of the, the the process will be the bottleneck. So you need to first um, design it. I don't remember the name of the of the program, but we need to design it, test it, and run it uh, so many times and to see if there were crashes. And this was only to see that. I don't remember. I think the name. a very important part about it. So uh, obviously it's much cooler if things are optimized and if things are perfect, right? Yes. Uh, in mathematical words, perfect is optimized, right? Completely 100% optimized. But you can only optimize, it only makes sense to optimize if you know what the bottleneck is. It, uh, and I think that's like the key word of what you just said is, and you can only know if what the bottleneck is if you already have something running and working in the first place. Yes. So it doesn't make sense to um start by the optimization i would always start by the implementation mm -hmm. then uh run it and maybe it's good enough maybe i don't even need the optimization but maybe it is taking too long at some step it does happen so um we for example we have the problem that our server is loading for it takes forever uh to load right so we did identify that as a bottleneck and we're now working on it uh but you need to, first need to get something to work then you can identify the bottleneck and then you can optimize it because it does, because if you don't do it like that, if you start by the optimization, you run the risk of spending so much time and you can really like spend infinite amount of times in these things, yeah. optimizing things, something that is completely useless, that will bring nothing. That, but you know, that, that's a, the, the, the beautiful part about the engineering because yes. we, we come together somehow. <laughs> it's cool. It is the beautiful part about engineering. I okay, agree. cool. I like it, I like it. So, uh, and just to, to do a little bit more of transitioning about either your like a bit a mixture between your experience and your studies because right now we went into a little bit of that mm -hmm. but continuing with your experience so you were in your bachelor's degree you said you postponed it for whatever reason you went also to china uh, and then you came back and so and all of this then you got your you get into your master's you got into your master's degree so why keep studying computer science did you like because it that much? It. Because at yeah. this point I knew I loved it. At this point I knew I loved it. Okay. At and this what... point I could not imagine doing anything else. Okay, but back then, and right now I would I would say so. <laughs> yes, yes, no, back then, back then. But, so by the time I finished my bachelor's, I really need, I really knew like this is what I want to do. But you, 
So one of the things I read about your uh, your description uh, was like you like research. Yeah, I do. I like applied research. Okay, so uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like both about the research part and the um, applied research. The research part is a bit related to what we we're just talking about, right? Mm -hmm. The research part is about like getting data to know what to optimize. So if we're going back, like research is all about optimization and finding like the perfect solutions, right? Um, but it has a lot to do with knowing what, uh, knowing what to optimize and uh, playing around with all that because usually when you have a problem to solve, you can usually have like 20,000 ways of doing it. And research is a lot about finding the best way to do it. Um, and applied research is a lot about using data to do that. Um, I did my PhD at the chair of applied software engineering. And I always say that my boss had the best chair name uh, on the planet because honestly what in the world right now is not applied soft software engineering basically everything in the world is applied software engineering if you ask me because everything has some software running behind it right these days even simple radio has some uh, software running behind it uh, this podcast, right? Podcasts would be like this reinvention, uh, reinvention of the radio. And right now we are filming this. Uh, we are doing this on Zoom, which has a lot of software behind it. So yeah, <laughs> um, everything is applied software engineering, if you ask me. Um, and the reason I like applied is also is basically using the data to solve real world questions. So many of the people who work on research can get a very lost in very, very, very theoretical questions, mm -hmm. which are definitely very interesting um, to think about. But I want to work on something that I know will have a practical result and will somehow affect people. Uh, and I can actually see the results, right? Which is why I really like the applied part of it. I think, yeah, I mean, that's one of the reasons why there are teams right because there are some people that they are like uh, total 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 geeks of research like no just leave me here this is well, there are the people who love optimizing to the last uh, centimeter a millimeter um yeah no and and usually they have beautiful mathematical models behind it that are just like so beautiful like sexy beautiful um i like using them not developing them I love using them. I love like my k-means algorithm. I was, I was, I, I thought it was awesome that I could just like use there's a, a perfect mathematical solution for my problem and just uh, uh, use it, right? Two lines of Python importing it and using it. Obviously, if you're coming up with that algorithm, then it requires a much more uh, optimization and much uh, deeper level of research. Yeah, that, and you know, like that's a good reminder that you were saying because um, the fact that we use technology is like you we need to remember like i mean we normal people that we are not into computer sciences and programming and all this stuff that whatever you you have in your hands that now we are like cyborgs right like you are all the time next to your cell phone or the computer so there is there was someone at least someone doing that that yeah. could work for you so now you can just uh, and spend your time just uh, watching those stupid memes so <laughs> Do you have any idea how much thought is put into how, into what meme to display to you next? Yeah, exactly. There are very complex mathematical models behind which meme to show you next. Yeah, I think so. Did you watch the, the documentary uh, in Netflix, this um, social dilemma? Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. So when I start when I started watching the the, the AI, I can yeah. highly recommend it. It's a very good one. The AI behind it. I mean, of course, is. For I think for a wider uh, audience, 
maybe you could understand, maybe you already understand more about it. But when I when I started thinking that there was an AI bot or whatever that is, uh, just looking at your patterns and just showing you whatever you want, so you stay longer there. They're like, oh shit, like I, I don't want to be manipulated, but you were, and you are. But you are, but you are, and you absolutely are. You absolutely are, and that's the whole bubble that we live in, right? You live inside of the bubble that uh, amazing AIs in the world tell you what to look next to, and then you always are looking into them, and then you stay in your bubble. How do you find that? Like, uh, what are your thoughts about that? I can highly recommend the documentary uh, to everyone. Uh, first thought about that is definitely scary. Um, it definitely is responsible for a few of the problems that we are seeing in the world right now. It is definitely responsible for this huge polarization that we're seeing in the world right mm -hmm. now. I remember like um, the last Brazilian election, right? And even the, 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 the two last American elections and Brexit and the last Brazilian election and so many, so many of these things. It's just like this huge, it's one group against the other group and there's zero middle ground. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just disgusting the way that these things have evolved because like if you're in if you're in this one group you're only getting notifications and news and articles and comments about this one group so you will reinforce all of the opinions in this one group and you just stay there and you will never move one millimeter uh in the other direction to get a different opinion on it yeah. um yeah I, I, I think that uh, the at least for that I was wondering what is happening because Like I heard other other podcasters saying, I never saw the world so divided like nowadays. And I was like, why? You know, like, because before it was, okay, yeah, there were some, some times that it was really divided, right? the Cold War or so. But uh, at least not everybody had an opinion or had access to that information. But at the end, like, what is happening? And- uh, The access to information changed it a lot. Yes. And, and, and I was questioning myself, like, Why? Because I don't, I don't like either. You know, like if I go here, it's like, uh, like, yes. going to, yeah. if I go here, then I will be either considered as this or that, or involved in this kind of thinking. And I, and I think there is no uh, good outcome if you just stand in one side of the equation. You just you need both, and you need to see the whole picture. That's my own approach. I But think. most of the people is like, no, this is my my standpoint. And I'm going to defend it and fuck the rest or something like that. People are not open. So many people are not, I don't want to generalize because it's usually a bad idea to generalize, but I think so often people nowadays are not open to listening to the other side anymore. Um, so, yeah, I think so often people are not open to listening to the other side anymore. And I do think that's a very big problem. Um, yeah, which is even a pity right because you have the internet like information has never been as reachable and accessible in the history of humanity yes. as it is today like today if i wanted i know zero about medicine chemistry biology i know zero about that stuff okay and usually i hate it um but today if i wanted to learn how to perform a complicated surgery i can find it online i can find research papers and like top level research Um, and status online. I mean, I don't want to because I hate the subject, but if I wanted to, I could. And the same goes for most fields in the world. You, you know, one of the things that I think... How many people use that? I think one of the key things for that kind of, um, let's say, of behaviors 
like what you're talking about, like it should be like that, at least it would be like that, it would be good, is that you need to understand, like you, me and everybody else, first of all, need to understand how to look for information. Because, yes. because I think that's even more important because um, when I, I was thinking, I was talking to one, to some friends of mine uh, not long ago in the chat, in WhatsApp and stuff. And uh, I asked them, what do you think was the best thing from the, from the, from the university? Because I was so like, no, that doesn't, that doesn't, didn't help me on anything. I didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. Like was in kind in this kind really? of Really? You didn't like university? No, I liked it. But now in my present life, it's like, oh, it didn't work as I thought it would, you know, like, uh, it, like the picture was different. And it's like, oh, I, need, I needed more skills, more, more knowledge, more, more of everything to just keep with my current kind of life. So it's like, oh, th that was not even enough. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, yeah, that's another story. But I was asking my friends and, and one of them, he said something and I was like, and, and I cannot remember, I cannot forget it. And he said something like, they teach us how to think and how to research for data. Yes. So, like, so the, 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 the way how you approach a problem and how yes. you solve it and how do you find the right information to solve it that's what is important and i was like bam thank you my whole my whole like uh, I, i shifted my whole and i think that is so much connected to like the core of computer science because computer science at its absolute core is just logic and logic seems so simple right and i remember in the university there was this course it was, the name of the course was called logic and it was logic for eight ec tests which means it was like a huge workload and i was always so scared imagine taking logic for eight ec tests logic the beauty of logic is that it sounds so simple but in reality it is not yeah um uh it, logic can be very 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 complicated um And the beauty of logic is that you can usually take the one step at a time approach to it uh, to get to the complicated part. And you can usually start at the very simple, which is uh, why I say first get something to work. Um, and that's and just being able to organize the hard part, going back to what we're talking about programming, right? The hard part about programming is not the computer part. It's the logic part. It's being able to or it's learning how to structure your thoughts into this one step at a time approach, breaking it down into the simplest uh, steps in order to, uh, to get those steps as simple as possible and then getting them to work. Um, that's the hard part about programming. Uh, it's simplifying general, the logic of what you need to do to its very, very core. But I think that's in general, the, the hard part of life because- Yes, which is why computer science uh, so much explains life, see, agreed. Yeah, because uh, for example, uh, uh, I think we, t we talked about that last time, but the fact that there are people telling you or explaining you things as simple as possible and that you understand them, it's like that thing is difficult. Like just to pass information from one brain to another in a yes. simple way, that means that the person that can explain you in the simple way already understands a lot, even how you think. So. So and, you could understand it like, and, 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 you know, like, and chew it in small pieces. And that is really just the beauty of the internet. Uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday. Again, time is option. Uh, <laughs> these days, I was on YouTube and I started Googling uh, or started watching some videos of, from Brian Greene explaining string theory. Oh, like, yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. 
like string theory is a very complex topic and uh, I was just amazed about how the guy could make such a complex topic like oh yeah I'm actually understanding this yeah it actually makes sense and it's like and yeah then hours of YouTube entail and they make you love the topic and that's yes the, yeah and that's and that's access to information imagine imagine 30 years ago, just a random person wanting to learn what string theory is, right? It's a very complex topic. Um, and today it's possible, the basics of it at least, with a few hours of YouTube. Yeah, yeah I mean, of course, there are degrees, right? <laughs> so where do you yes, think? obviously there are degrees. Obviously there are degrees. Obviously, yes. And obviously if you want to go uh, uh, to the core of it, you can spend your entire life studying it. And the same thing applies to coding. Exactly. So obviously there are degrees to it, right? And if you want to be the biggest expert and implement the most optimized mathematical models, you do need um, the years of studying, the, uh, the master's, maybe even the PhD, maybe, okay, maybe the PhD. Um, can someone do it without- just want without the basic level to get something to work, you can do that with a few hours of internet. If someone has, let's say, it's, it, if someone has the interest to do it and don't have the access, let's say someone in a uh, developing country, whatever, um, for example, uh, cheers, and uh, they don't have the access, but they have internet. So they can access to either- If you e have the internet, you have access. Yeah, so, but just to the internet, not to the master's degree or to bachelor's degree in the, whatever, in, you know, in Harvard or in Stanford or- If you have internet, you have all the access you need. Okay, and with that, you also, need you also need time. Yes, of course. Of, yeah, but I, yeah, yeah, you need to invest. Those are the two resources right? that you need: time and the internet. That's and, it. And and interest. <laughs> you need well, to also interest. interest uh, correlates with time. If you don't have interest, then you don't have time. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, but with having that in account, can you get to a degree where, or to a certain point that you can actually be an expert on? just yeah. just by, by learning by yourself yes yeah. absolutely yes i'm the same absolutely. opinion but i am asking you from uh this no one thousand perspective one thousand percent yes and i know people who have done it mm -hmm. that's cool no, i know people uh, i'm uh, i were talking i was talking about our geekettes event tomorrow right one of the speakers tomorrow is a friend of mine argentinian argentinian that i met in singapore mm -hmm. uh amazing person um has a bio comes from a biomedical engineering background right so not computer science at all she she does the whole biology part <laughs> the biomedical engineering part that i not half of the time i don't understand her work um and the reason we got her as a speaker tomorrow is a she's an amazing woman she's also someone who we should really talk to in in this podcast must i say what is her uh, name Felici. you should she you should really invite her um and she had the interest and i remember uh, so at some point she decided she was uh, she wanted to learn how to code or whatever um and like the girl is just a phenomenon basically she went from uh, i want to learn how to code and have a background in biomedical engineering to she literally completed the corsetta machine learning uh she completed the machine learning course and the deep learning one faster than I did because she had the time and interest to do it. Oh, Not because she's smarter, I mean, she is smarter than me, but that's a whole different topic, but simply she invested more time than I did um, into the course. And honestly in Coursera, uh, Udemy and whatever, you can learn anything. Coursera, Udemy, University of the People, you can learn anything. Yeah. And I, I, when Bichana told me, oh yeah, I finished the, I, I basically got stuck at the machine learning uh, course and I never really finished it uh, because 
I found something else to do and I lost my interest, right? So I never finished it. Yes. And Betiana comes to me and said, oh yeah, I finished the machine learning one and I'm almost finishing the deep learning one. I was like, what? <laughs> no, we totally agree. Totally and I thought you couldn't code and I thought I was the one with the computer science background and Betiana just like, Pew. We totally agree. I mean, so or, uh, recently I discovered that there are so many things I want to know and so, so many yeah. things I want to learn, but I don't have the time. And it's like, shit, now I need to start like, uh, defining what I want because before that I was just learning from everything oh this is good this is yes. nice. this is interesting but now with less and less and less time because now with the family with work with whatever then yeah. it's like within you need to yeah yeah there is no time and there are so many things to learn and this is like the for me it's annoying that I cannot I learn the priority and focus is really really hard like knowing what the priority is and this is the thing that I want to focus on and do first that's actually really hard I'm, w I'm waiting for the neural link so I can put everything into, you know, like in uh, the matrix. It's just like, I just want to know everything about this. <laughs> Done. Next. Would you do it, <laughs> by the way? If it's safe and FDA approved, yes. Okay, yeah, I would do too. If it's safe and has gone through all the levels of approvals and regulations that people require them to go through, then yes. That would be so amazing. I, I heard, I heard uh, one of one analysis about technology and people in general and society. Um, maybe you agree or maybe you don't, or maybe there are parts of it that yes or no. The thing or the, the comment about it was that uh, technology and society, like technology is advancing so fast that people cannot keep with that kind of yeah. uh, development. And there are so many people that will not keep with that because it, the, the technology goes, the, the rate of evolution is, I don't know how many times faster every time that the people, some people like uh, they're, let's say, they don't even ha have access to technology or whatever. They will be just left behind because it's like, there is no way we can give you a job in technology because you're just too far. And, and that's regarding economics and of course, opportunities and everything. So, and I was like, Oh my God! So and 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 they were talking also about the the how much people are earning when if you are in this part of the equation, like into the technology part, versus being a cleric or being a cleaning mm -hmm. person, or it's just like oh, it's unfair. No, it's not unfair. It's just offer and demand, and the, the high-paying jobs are here because everything like society and humanity is driven by technology right now. And all the other jobs are kind of like left behind and they will be even less and less and less needed because of technology and robots and all this stuff. Oh, so yeah. that was like the general analysis. And, and I was like, where do I want to be? <laughs> do I want to be into the technology evolution part or do I want to be in, let's say in services or whatever? So I don't agree that technology is the only useful job um of the next few centuries i think there are enough very important jobs that will uh, still be very important uh we are in a year of a, a huge pandemic no one understood and i think it will take a while before technology replaces doctors it will definitely be very soon it's a very high extent already is happening that technology is helping doctors and that already happens happens today with Tiana working at brain lab um, so technology helping doctors, that definitely yes, but for them to replace it, it will be, take a while. But we don't even need to talk about doctors, right? Doctors are also a very high paying job. Yeah. Let's talk about teachers. 
going back to the education, I always say that if the world was a fair place, teachers would get paid the same things as doctor does. If the world was a fair place, that would really be true. But do you think, do you think you need, like, that, that's the kind of thing that- But I do important. think you need a person to teach. Yes, but uh, person, like, per, like in person though, you know, because- No, not you... in person, maybe not in person. And then, then we get back to the technology helping other jobs. Yes. That will happen a lot, but that doesn't mean replacing them. Because the, the problem, I think the problem with, uh, let's say with um, comp uh, a competition is that there will be one teacher teaching the same thing that is better than others. And you don't need to teach that thing many times. You just need to record it and distribute it. And that's it, you know, like as at least- So yes, yes. Then, and I really do believe in online teaching and it gets back to what we we're talking before. Anyone can learn anything on the internet because yeah. there are amazing teachers on the internet that have already recorded it, right? Yeah. So yeah. yes, maybe on the one hand, yes. And it, um, and there's the part of it that you really don't need the same thing explained 20,000 times. On the other hand, there is a difference. And I think this is one thing that we surely learned in 2020 is there is a difference between learning online and uh, learning offline. So I don't think that schools are disappearing anytime soon because I do think that the offline aspect of it is important. And then when you take it to the offline world, then you do need, uh, I mean, there's a limited amount of uh, uh, students that a single teacher can handle um, and then you do need many of them explaining the same thing right and so I think there's like both sides to it yeah yeah I, yeah I think I think it's gonna change it's not gonna stay like I think the incompetent people are definitely going to get uh, replaced and uh, because if you're an incompetent teacher then probably someone in the internet has done better than you and then uh, it's more accessible, right? It's as accessible as and probably with better results. And then it's uh, people are going to go to the online resource rather than coming to you. Yeah, and plus there is that comes some some other player and just do the translation. So you don't need a person from your you know from your surroundings to teach translation you. Translation is a very complex topic. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just not as easy as it looks. And uh, but the thing is. I, I think also translations and languages is a reason why that won't happen so fast because yeah, I think for yeah. the guy uh, growing up in the middle um, of Brazil, it makes a huge difference if the content is in Portuguese or in English. It's a huge yeah. difference. And in the internet, it will usually be in English and not in Portuguese. Do you know what's, really? why I'm bringing this topic? Because uh, the I remember uh, back in 2018 or 17 or so, um, I don't remember exactly when, maybe more, maybe less, but when the last president, Mexican president was in, 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 in charge or in, as president, uh, he tried to change the education system. I don't know if it was good or bad because I was not in the country, I was just watching the news and I don't have an opinion of it. But what I did see was that teachers were complaining that they were about to lose their jobs because they were, they were supposed to be tested. And they didn't want to be tested. So it's like, why are you testing me? Because if I don't pass the exam, I will lose my job. So fuck you, government. So everybody got together and pushed that back just so teachers could have a living. And I was, that was so frustrating to see. And I was like, dude, like, and I cannot believe that people, well, okay, I can, but um, it's just, you know, like uh, frustrating because they want to help them, but people don't want to be helped in a, a lot of times. 
goes back to what I was saying, right? If the road was a fair place, teachers would get paid as much as doctors. Well, doctors do go through a lot of certification and a lot of examinations before yes. the uh, doctor, as do lawyers, as do many other people. Uh, well, probably those two. But I think uh, really top professors earn more, you know, because they went through a lot of things. Well, yes, but professors are a bit different than teachers. Yes. Professors but, are a bit different than teachers. And professors usually have like side projects as well. They're not only teaching, yes. they're also doing a bit of a lot of other side stuff on the job on the and, side. And, exactly. And then just if you take all teachers, not everybody will earn the same. That's because of the same reason. That that's the only thing. So uh, it's uh, yeah, complicated. <laughs> so uh, we came to a rabbit hole really quick. But uh, yeah, definitely really interesting. So let's let's just change a little bit the gears to go really, really back to your master's degree. And because you were in, uh, that was from 2014 to 2017. And in the meantime, uh, you participated. First, you founded the WAR Hyperloop team, and then you participated in the competition in LA um, in 2017. The, I also checked what was the meaning of war, or I don't know how you Exactly. What's the problem with that abbreviation? Easy. <laughs> so I, I think it's just a German abbreviation for the academic student group for rocketry and space flights. Yeah, and it was, I yeah. Probably it was. Translated it. There's probably an official translation. I just, sorry, Vlad. Still abbreviated. Like <laughs> no, no problem. But, but uh, I also saw that it was founded in the 50s or 60s. Or it was crazy that having. That, that is awesome. Their student group, and they're actually really, really cool. We've been sending rockets uh, for a while. Yeah, so the question is, why do you start, like, first of all, like, why do you want to participate? Why do you want to participate in that? And, uh, you know, because one thing is computers and computer science and logic and mathematics and another thing. The other thing, thing is the mechanical engineering part of it. Yeah, exactly. So implementation, okay, yeah, okay. Implementation, and then you come, come into a transportation. So I think now we're coming more to the, to the present, so, what happened? The whole mobility thing, right? I had always loved transportation. Basically grew up in Sao Paulo. Anyone who's grown up in Sao Paulo hates traffic because they have, uh, it just jumped. Uh, <laughs> uh, because they have lost too many hours of their life in traffic. So yeah, Sao Paulo traffic, definitely a huge problem. So I had actually already been working in transportation even before the Hyperloop. So during my bachelor, for example, I did my bachelor thesis in Singapore at a traffic simulation uh, research group. Um, it was a research group that was developing a traffic simulation and I uh, helped with the development of a few of the components. So I, my whole thing with transportation and mobility is actually already before the Hyperloop. And the whole story of the Hyperloop, right? The Hyperloop concept is an amazing concept. I was at the end, towards the end of my master's at that point where you should be searching for a thesis and should be thinking about how to finish it. And as any good student, instead of searching for a thesis, I was on Facebook. Um, just dumb scrolling through Facebook, literally dumb scrolling through Facebook. When I see this post from um, Wait But Why, which is an amazing page that I can only recommend um, from Tim Wait, but why? It's a blog. It's a blog that explains very complex scientific topics in a very easy stick man figure anyone can understand language. It's really awesome. Um, and I already knew them from before and therefore I had followed them on Facebook. 
And therefore, I got, I got this post on my Facebook newsfeed uh, that Wait But Why was talking about the Hyperloop because um, he was doing a series or starting a series on Elon Musk. Um, and therefore, he was one of the first people who get notified when the competition was announced and he wrote a post about it. Uh, it was for Tim Urban on Wait But Why usually writes like human just posts and this one is actually quite short and you could read it in like 15 minutes. Awesome. Um, it wasn't the first time that I had heard about the Hyperloop because I had heard about it in 2013 when uh, Elon published the Alpha study. Um, but it was the first time that I looked into it in detail. And the whole thing was SpaceX is announcing a student competition for university students to build a prototype, to design and build a prototype. And for someone who was searching for a master thesis, I was like, that's a cool master thesis. <laughs> so this is really the story of how me dumb scrolling through Facebook found hmm, interesting master thesis. Yeah, because you you have the, the the potential of everything, you know, because it's like the, the break is there, you need to do your yeah, work. Like, so why not? Together. I called a friend, my friends from Armenia. I called her um, and both of us got completely overhyped <laughs> on the whole topic and we're talking for hours and she's and then she went into started researching and looking into stuff and she's the type of person that when she digs into something she dips deep, digs deep um, and I think the story goes that uh, she uh, at some point it became late and I went to sleep right and I was like awesome idea we'll look to it uh, we'll see what we can do in the morning but my friend she's like I'm just going to go in deep into it I think she didn't sleep and a few of her friends in Armenia also didn't sleep that night because they were researching into the hyperloop but you were uh, together in the tomb in, in tomb yes she, I knew her from the she was also doing a master's in computer science with me oh. uh, she was a university friend um and yeah so Next morning, at some point, I'd wake up and there's like a lot many messages and comments from her about all these things, right? Ex-boyfriend from back then, uh, and uh, back then boyfriend, now ex-boyfriend for reasons, uh, uh, actually comes in and I tell him like, hey, Hyperloop, like this is a cool masterpiece. And then he's like, we don't have time for that. And those are a few of the reasons why he's not an ex. <laughs> um, okay. It was anyway. time for you. Get out of my way. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit of a dangerous summary to the story, but whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, started looking into it. And I mean, I'm a computer science. I know enough about the world to know that designing and building a Hyperloop is not a computer science task. I was, uh, I don't know, smart enough to realize that there's a huge mechanical engineering concept into it. And so like, I have no idea about how to do the mechanical engineering part of it. So let's find the people who can. I literally opened the mechanical engineering website, the faculty website, and I was going through the chairs of the website. And I was searching for something like rail, train, faculty, chair, whatever. That tomb, uh, at that point did not have that faculty, or at least not in the mechanical engineering building. But I did end up finding the people of the aerodynamic uh, mm -hmm. chairs. Like aerodynamic seems, seems from my very vague understanding, I mean, you can even make an argument that the Hyperloop is under, uh, is under very low pressure, almost vacuum, and therefore uh, uh, aerodynamics shouldn't be that um, relevant. You could even make that argument. But from my understanding of back then, I thought aerodynamics is the one that was closest. They know. Went there. Actually, first I wrote them an email and they ignored me for a while. And at some point, I just literally went over and knocked at their door. Um, talked to them and in like 
five minutes, there were five PhD students around me, the small master students, uh, talking about the concept. I was like, mm -hmm, interesting, interesting. We could, uh, we could support it and all. And they actually told me that I should talk to their neighbors. Uh, and literally, the neighbor of the aerodynamics uh, chair is VAR. The, uh, VAR is actually at the um, space flight and rocketry. So I, uh, back then it was a chair, now it's a faculty. Um, and VAR, and they told me to talk to VAR for two reasons. A, VAR would find the SpaceX part of it cool because <laughs> maybe VAR doesn't have much to do about Hyperloops, but they do have a lot to do with space, SpaceX because they do build rockets. Um, maybe not SpaceX size rockets, but small rockets that do get launched. They, they did find interesting the SpaceX part of it. And even more important than that, VAR had experience in building stuff, in building the actual hardware and the actual practical side of building prototypes. That's exactly what they do. That's exactly what they did. And I did that and I did go to VAR and at VAR I found the first, um, so the first seven people from the team was me and my friend and five people that I basically stole from other projects at VAR. <laughs> but, but, okay, okay. So the, the, the person who began everything was your friend that like, ah, we need to go into here and you were- Yeah, like, me, yeah, yeah. me and my friend was like, yeah, she, she didn't sleep, I slept and- <laughs> But that's cool. So in that case, so you, you gather a team without knowing it. And then what? Like you just applied to so like, okay, we have a team. Now we want to do it. And then you just send I mean, it. It was a very, very iterative process. It wasn't like first get a team, second apply. Uh, it was a very, very iterative process. So indeed, I'm quite sure I first, I, I'm quite sure I even applied before getting a team. Um, and we actually applied twice because exactly because of that, because like there was this online form that you needed to, to fill out and register. And I wanted to see what was happening after this online form to see if like, is there 20 other steps to this thing that I don't know. And so I'm quite sure that I even registered for a fake team name under uh, a dummy team under my name. And I, I'm not, I'm not sure how I even called it. I don't remember. I remember doing it, but I don't remember what I called it. Um, and this was still when we were still gathering the first people with VAD and talking to people and I had sent out emails and was starting to get some answers but didn't really know who was going to be in the team, how the team was going to be structured, there was this whole topic, um, yeah, who's the team lead, uh, who's going to organize this, blah, blah, blah. And so there was a lot of conversations and things going on and I just wanted to know what, how the page was going to be, so I read this first. Um, and it ended up not being much after the initial page registration. It was just one uh, single page registration. So we actually uh, ended up registering twice even. Uh, later we did register under the VAR Hyperloop name. And I remember, I remember that VAR wanted to call it VAR Hyperloop. And that's how, uh, that was, I, I wanted to be team lead. Um, I wanted to be team lead because I barely need these people. So I wanted to have some control over the thing. Uh, but I didn't really care about the name. And since they had, yeah, all of these other projects, uh, already they, for them, uh, yeah, they decided on the name. That's how the name oh, that's cool. came up. They also did, uh, one of the guys uh, from VAR that ended up in our project actually designed the logo, which uh, was also like VAR uh, corporate design compliant, which was quite cool. To this day, I still very much like that logo. <laughs> that's cool. And, and the question is for, so everybody, I think a lot of people know about SpaceX or maybe also about Hyperloop. But uh, what was the competition about? Like, uh, and what did you do as a team there? Because you were not the only one there. So very, very, very iterative process. Uh, the competition actually had several stages and at each, at back then, today the competition is different. Uh, I, I think this year they don't even have 
a Hyperloop competition. They're not doing a boring company competition. Tomb Boring, they are awesome. Mm -hmm. um, I can highly recommend Tomb Boring. Um, and yes, but even the competition itself was quite iterative and also had quite a few steps to it. So we first needed a very preliminary design, then we needed a detailed one. And after we passed the detailed one, we got proof for, we got um, permission to actually build it. So, um, and everything was done. So the whole team went to, to Los Angeles? A different, very, very, very long story in different parts of it. So basically this whole going to VAR starting thing uh, was like July, August of 2015. Um, then we had uh, first the preliminary design, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the first phase of it was actually going to um, Austin. Texas, Austin, Texas at the um, ATM University. I forgot the name of the university. Oops. Um, <laughs> yeah, where we actually needed to present the first part of it. Uh, we are in, actually needed to present the um, design to even get approval to build. And this was one of the hard parts of it because I think, I don't remember the numbers anymore. I'd have to look up the numbers, but a few like three, five hundred, uh, 300, 500, uh, I'm not, no, not, no, I'm, I don't remember the numbers. Don't quote me on the numbers. Um, no, that, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. I don't remember the numbers. Um, had submitted designs, but only 30 teams were allowed to build. Uh, so that was like the first bottleneck of uh, being allowed to build. So I remember when we were in Texas and we were like, we're allowed to build. This was like the first ah, moment. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> and on the one point, that was the first ah moment. The second of all, that was like, oh my God, fuck this shit moment. <laughs> because we had this humongous compressor on the front of the, uh, of the pod that we had designed. Because when we're designing it, we can do whatever we want, right? We had this amazing 12-stage compressor that was huge. Like, uh, how exactly are we going to build that thing? <laughs> like, how do you build sense, that right? huge compressor, right? Uh, so that was also a bit also when we uh, passed it and we had to build it's like fuck how are we going to do that um and so many iterations later we completely changed the compressor we scaled it down so much and we ended up not building it but buying one also very big uh, very also very big advantage of it but you know what the compressor that we ended up buying wasn't as awesome as the one as we had designed but it had the amazing advantage that it existed yeah it was like <laughs> actually physically existed you could actually touch it you know you compress time yeah yeah um so also getting it to work is better than getting it perfect right uh we absolutely scaled down the compressor so much as with so many other components of the pod basically the braking system we had to start from scratch we had to basically redesign the complete thing uh, because we needed to redesign something that we would be able to build. Uh, so when we got back from Texas, the first task was like, okay, first task is A, redesigning uh, the complete pod. B, for that we need more uh, into something buildable. B, for that we need more people, so we need to find people. C, we need money because building this is going to be expensive, so we need to start looking for sponsors. And that's when things started scaling up a bit more um when we got the approval to build that's when re things really started to go crazy um but that's yeah and then at, by the end of it so um texas was january 2016 
um, where we got the approval to build it. And then all of 2016 is basically the year where I didn't have a life. Uh, 2016, I basically didn't exist. Um, as did anyone else on the team, may I add. And then uh, January 2017, we go to LA and um, Answering the question, uh, did the entire team go to LA? We separated into, because it's quite expensive uh, for 35 people to go to LA, but we really wanted to do it because everyone had worked so hard. So we ended up separating it into mm -hmm. phases. There were the engineers who were really important to be there for the actual thing to work. And I think that was like 15 people, if I'm not mistaken, who went there two weeks in advance and they were there for like, I, uh, two complete weeks working on it and blah, blah, blah. And then the rest of the team only went for the competition day for two, three, five days in total. Oh, that's so we sort of separated so that at least everyone could be there on competition day, but that the people that we needed to work there before would, was there already before. And getting the money part of that to work was also a whole different topic. No, the cool thing is you, you, you won, like that, that's crazy, you know? Uh, and and I mean winning we like look. Do you want the complete story on that? But look, even if if uh, if whatever if 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 this if wouldn't be Hyperloop, it would be another thing, like another kind of technology, and you win. That's crazy. Like you were competing against other thirty teams at least or twenty nine. I don't know how many people were involved: money, uh, sweat, work, and you won. And do you know? So yes and definitely there is the amazing part of it but then again there's also the luck part of it here's the actual story behind the win that i'm not sure how if i've already told it like this okay. so uh, indeed we did not win the category we wanted to win here's something that many people most people don't know in this first competition there were actually two categories um design and fastest pot and we always wanted to go for the design category we built and optimized we optimized lucky going back to the optimization we optimized for the design category that's why we had our huge compressor on the front our, our compressor made zero sense on the uh speed um criteria it did make sense in the scalability and design criteria that but we still had our, our amazing compressor in the front we optimized for the design category not of speed one. With design, you mean like how it looked and how it performed? No, 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 technical design, technical design. Okay, but from, okay, okay. Functionality, functionality. Functionality, okay. Yeah, um, functionality and technical design. That's what we wanted to win. Um, and then the, our main competitors, so basically you had like two main competitors, the Delft team and the MIT team. Um, the Delft team, on the other hand, they had optimized for the speed category <laughs> and they ended up taking the design category. <laughs> so we completely switched. We wanted the design and got speed and Delft wanted speed and got design. And the reason for, <laughs> and there's a very funny story as to why. MIT had some uh, technical problems just a few days, like basically a week before. And if anyone of the MIT team is listening to this and I'm saying something wrong, I'm deeply sorry. I don't know. I do not know the details of the MIT team. Okay. Um, but just a few days before the competition, we needed to go through this testing week, basically and proving to SpaceX that all of the co uh, components were working. And um, there was, was this one day where like this huge rain fell down. And I think the MIT electronics got um, 
wet and I think that started giving them technical problems so it's not that I met you when they were amazingly good um but yeah uh, they had technical problems and I mean at the end of the day, MIT electronics got wet and ours didn't. Is that because we're better than them? Of course not. That's no. because we were lucky. Yeah. Oh, there's always like the luck part of it. Obviously, it's awesome to win, right? But they're very, very, very much. Why did we win the fastest pod? Basically because Delft had huge magnets on their pod. Uh, we also had huge magnets, but our system was modular. So we were able to remove our huge magnets. We literally really removed our huge magnets five minutes before the competition, okay? Five minutes before the run. Delft couldn't remove their magnets before the run. And it so happened that SpaceX was allowed so that um, our pod did not have any propulsion. The propulsion was supposed to come from a pressure from SpaceX. And SpaceX had been promising us that this pressure was going to um, send us to 300 kilometers per hour speed. So we had all designed for this, both us, Delft, MIT, all the teams were designing to this, okay? And they even had this table, if this is the weight, this is the speed. If this is the weight, this is the speed. And we were designing according to that because that was the specification that we did. That pressure from SpaceX had major technical problems and simply did not reach the speed that they told us that it would. It, it, um, it reached 94 kilometers per hour and everyone, the, the three teams competing only made the 94 kilometers per hour because the speed was determined by the pressure, not by the capsules. None of the teams had uh, propulsion systems. Uh, the reason why we won fastest pod is that uh, Delft and its magnets, basically the magnets were there for levitation and we also wanted magnets for levitation, right? And the levitation curve uh, the, is basically um, the magnets for levitation, basically at low speeds, the magnets are a huge drag. They are almost like a huge wave force, but at high speed, they will uh, levitate. And so we all wanted to reach the high speed and levitate. Yes, we did. But because of the pressure problems, we knew we were not going to reach the speed that we wanted to. So we knew we were going to be below that threshold. So, and we knew that at the lower speeds, the magnets were more breaking us, uh, more making us slow than anything else which is why we removed our mag magnets five minutes before the competition. That's when we got the news from the uh, pusher status, right? Uh, we moved the magnets because of the Delft design. They couldn't do the same thing. And since they had the magnets in the pod, the, basically as soon as the pusher stopped pushing, their pod uh, um, stopped like, I think their pod only rode a very few meters after the pusher and stopped in the middle of the tube. We won fastest pod because we removed the magnets and therefore we were the only team that made it to the end of the tube. It's not because we were fast, it's because we were the only ones that made it to the end. But you know, like luck has also a, com a big component of preparation because you know, like- Also it's a big component of luck. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, uh, there was preparation on it. Yes, like, yes, you didn't plan. You didn't plan for it, but, yes, but there, was, there was also the, the, all the work of the team somebody thought about it obviously, no obviously making the whole thing modular was a huge advantage that we had the fact that we could remove it five minutes was a huge advantage which was because of our modular design um yeah definitely 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 yes on that part and delft didn't have this modular design and therefore they couldn't remove it five minutes before um and definitely the modular design has a lot to do with preparation it also has a lot to do with everything that we were talking about earlier for getting it to work, right? The modular design, we did it because it would allow us to easily uh, add and remove things and iterate on uh, 100,000 times because we really iterated on this thing many, many times. 
and the modular design was completely necessary for those iterations to work. So, and those iterations is absolutely what we were talking about earlier for first get something to work and then make it better, right? Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we were doing in Antia. Yeah, but uh, there is a saying, a win is a win. So, <laughs> so yeah, no, I mean, that's really cool. And, and, and you know, like there was, a, it was a fair game because everybody had the same circumstances. Nobody planned about it. Nobody, like everybody has had the same bad luck or bad, bad components. So yeah, so that that's cool. That I mean, you want? Yes, no, it, it, don't get me wrong. I was screaming my head out that day. With <laughs> videos you, of me online, screaming like a crazy person. Exactly. And when you won, what happened? Like, of course, you were happy and all this stuff. But what happened? <laughs> so, for me, there were two moments when I thought we actually have a chance of winning this. The first one is when we passed the last test that we needed to pass. When we passed the open uh, test the open tube test where it's like and everything worked and the compressor was on and, and and the compressor turned on and it was working and even the brakes when the brakes engage is like yeah everything is working it's actually working <laughs> so that's a moment for me was the first time like um and this happened at night so like <laughs> 11 in the evening 11 at night one of the days of the testing week for me that was the first moment where i realized Shh, how we have a, a chance for that. And the second one was Delft had their run before us. And when Delft's pod stopped in the middle of the tube, I had like, their pod stopped and ours won't. It means we are getting to the end of this. It means we actually, like, it means we're down to two when their pod stopped, which means we're down to one, which means, oh my God. We um, have a chance of winning this. And, and I, I, saw, I absolutely started freaking out at this moment and I go to one of the engineers in the team and I was like, Maxi, Maxi, we're like, their pod stopped. Like, ah, <laughs> I'm completely going crazy. And Maxi looks at me in like the most serious engineering um, uh, technical face in the world. Of course, their pod stops. Their magnets, they had magnets, and then the magnets uh, acted out as brakes and they made their pod stop. And it's like, you're not reading the consequences of this, are you? <laughs> like, you're giving me this technical answer, and I agree, and you're right about this, but dude. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Maxi got a bit annoyed at me. Uh, and. Then a few uh, hours later, we had our run and it did work out. And obviously it was awesome. Um, and then it continues, right? Uh, I, and then after we had our run, we were the last team to run. Um, we were we the last team to run. I don't remember when MIT ran. Um, and then you need to pack and start uh, start preparing to come back. And then after that, it's packing, uh, unloading the pod, making sure that everything is there, looking at the data, looking at the sensors, looking. Then there's like the whole engineering part of it, right? First look at the data. Did everything really go as planned? Um, and, all this, and all this information, just curious, all this information and the results were... Uh, were the, they published? No, no, wait, wait. Were property of uh, SpaceX or this company? Or um, it was like it was property of us. SpaceX had a non-exclusive usage rights. That's that. That was the contract. The, the legal wording of it. They had non-exclusive rights to it, but it was it belongs to us. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Because then it's like, oh, you know, just take this and take it to. No, no, it belonged. It belonged to us. It belonged to us. Oh, they had non-exclusive rights to it. Oh, that's cool. No, yeah, that would be that would be. I don't know if terrible. Um, and. Yeah, then uh, we started packing and I, I remember that like three hours later I was sick. 
<laughs> you know, when your body just gives up. The people, obviously, the team went partying that night. I could not go partying because I was just dead sick. Like three hours after the competition, I was like, um, I'm out. Knocked I did not go to the party. I missed the party. Sorry. No, I mean, you know, I think every time like you just let go all stress or whatever you were carrying, it's just like your body's just like, okay, now, <laughs> breaks. <laughs> No, but that's good. Congratulations. I mean, it's still... You're I, welcome. I can talk hours about the haiku. Even, even the story is just inspiring. It's just like the participating, the creation, the problems. It's just, just really, really, really cool. And, um, and after you participated in this, you went back to... Oh, by the way, wait. Before going back to your PhD and why you are currently doing, that's what the, the next question is going to be. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think about technology or the differences in technology or development from different the different teams? Because you were representing Germany and the TUM, so Technology uh, Technical University of Munich, uh, but there were all other other teams, local, so from America and other countries, I guess. So, what what do you think about the difference in technology and uh, developing and IP and I think that's one of the very cool things about the format of the competition is that it allows many different technologies and concepts to get tested. Mm -hmm. So for example, we were one of the only ones to have a compressor, uh, but then there was Lehigh. Lehigh, so there were only two teams who had a compressor, us and Lehigh. They were uh, from, I guess. US. US? Huh? US, US. Yeah. Um, Lehigh had this, I mean, Lehigh had a compressor that made ours look small. <laughs> Lehigh had a compressor the size of the one that we had designed and given up on building. Um, I don't know how they got it, but it was so just awesome to see it. Just like they had this humongous thing. Um, and they were using the compressor for a different means than we were. We were using it for drag reduction, for basically removing the air from the beginning of the tube so that air doesn't uh, accumulate slash choke in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we were basically uh, sucking the air and passing it through the pod and expelling it through the back. Lehigh was not only doing that, uh, but th so they were sucking uh, the air as well, but instead of passing it to the back, they were using it for air bearings. And they wanted to levitate not through the magnets that we had, but through air bearings. And um, this is actually how this is actually how the Hyperloop is described in the original uh, alpha study from Elon Musk from 2013. Is he uses the compressor for air bearings and uses air bearings for levitation? And Lehigh wanted to implement exactly that. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sure what their problem was, but unfortunately, they didn't get to test it. But I do think it's like uh, at least not in the final round in the tube. Uh, they did go through quite a few tests. I'm quite sure their air bearings uh, worked. Um, and I think that's one of the cool things about the competition format is that it allowed so different concepts. Like there were people who had active uh, magnets. We had our passive magnets, right? There are people who were using the magnets not only from levitation, but also for braking. Uh, and therefore we're actuating them in different uh, directions. And there were just so many different concepts um, that it's really one of the cool things from the competition. But th th I think that made you nervous and at the same time excited, right? Like, yes, oh, because you wanted I to see how the other... Uh, it's think about that, looks good. <laughs> it wasn't, 
only it, it wasn't a competition uh i mean obviously it was a competition because we were one against the other but you also generally wanted to know just from an engineering perspective how is this concept going to operate under these conditions mm -hmm. you know we're also like curious for the results of the other teams not only for yourself and that's really really cool yeah i think i think we talked that about the last time we met each other it's like being in an environment when you can talk to other intelligent people yes that's super amazing and there were only intelligent people in there only intelligent people really um, a few of the smartest people i have ever met in my life i met that week on the competition probably most of them and most intelligent people i met in my life for them that week but i mean you were you were also participating in this group so and in this environment and uh that makes you also that intelligent so that's yeah that's good you know is, it, there, is, there is a saying i don't know if it's only in spanish but it's like um yeah the saying is like do you prefer to be like the, the head of a mouse or the tail of a lion so how do you say it in spanish um cabeza de ratón o cola de león yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it doesn't matter you know you're part of it yeah. I, I i don't i don't have the enough information to say you were that little or that much but you were part of it so i think that's yeah. the, the cool thing about it and uh it just it was definitely an amazing experience that i would definitely never regret Yeah, amazing. And 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 the question. Don't get me wrong. The Hyperloop did cost me a job at Intel and a relationship that, at the time at least, I really really liked. And I could tell a long story about how the Hyperloop had a very big effect on that relationship. And don't get me wrong, the Hyperloop had so many problems, so many problems. I could go on for hours on this. A few of them that I am not sure if it was worth it, and a few of them, and there were so many times where I really. There were, I mean, there were infinite amount of times where I wanted to give up. There were a few times where I actually did give up. There were, few, there were times where I did give up. And the only reason why I still went to LA is because the team was still pushing it. So my relationship ended in the middle of the whole thing, right? And there was this day where I was destroyed because my relationship has ended and it was just really, really sad. And I didn't do anything work-wise for like two weeks because it was really not well mm. and it wasn't because i was doing something in the meantime i wasn't doing nothing in the meantime you can easily see my calendar all all things canceled all things deleted you can easily see my calendar when it happens but the team was still there and the team was still pushing forward and still working uh their ass off and working like crazy and this is the feeling that i really really missed from those days mm -hmm. of even when you're not doing anything Things are still happening, they're still moving forward because of the amazing people involved. And then there were other times where other people were sad and didn't do things that I did. And somehow the teamwork still pushes the whole project forward that you still do something, right? And even the times that I did uh, almost give up, the people didn't allow me to move uh, to give up. It's like, Mariana, where's the thing that you said you're going to do, you know? And at some point it does go forward and it doesn't add up to something. I think there, there, for this, there is a saying, I love it, when, and it applies for this, and you, will, you can remember it. You didn't come this far to just come this far. Yeah. And for me, that's a lot about one step at a time. One step at a time is really my life motto, because one email at a time, one test at a time, when our compressor exploded. We were so proud about our compressor, <laughs> it exploded. Uh, it literally exploded. Uh, <laughs> like, how do, what do you do when the the component that you're most proud of in your whole design explodes. What to do? Um, <laughs> and 
yeah. Cool. And just to close this this part of the, of the conversation, like, how do you like after that after that um, part of your life? What happened with that technology? Like, because you are more into mobility and sustainability. Yes. So what's what happened so far, and wh how what do you see regarding that technology or similar technologies for uh, mobility, at least in? So the reason why I eventually left the Hyperloop is that is a bit of what you're talking about. Uh, the technology of the Hyperloop works. Uh, we've proved that much. We've proved that much. It will work. And I 100% I believe that someday in the future I will ride a Hyperloop. Um, I really believe that. Um, and you know what? It's not that far away. Virgin Hyperloop 1 uh, had their first uh, people test a few months ago, weeks, months. Mm -hmm. Time is abstract. 2020. Uh, 2020. 2020. This year. Um, right? And so the technology of it definitely works and definitely is very interesting and an amazing project. The um, reason that I eventually left is that the problems on the Hyperloop today are not technical. They are very much business and political, mm -hmm. business, political, and regulatory. Regulatory being a very big part of them. Like what are the regulations that you need um, to get to even be allowed to test something like that? Um, and in 2020 and now those answers are starting to come up. So people are starting to talk about regulations for this, which is really, really awesome. Uh, but that is simply something that takes a lot of time because regulations and um, regulations take long and nothing will ever get out of the ground if it's not profitable. So there's also the whole business side of it that um, we're still, we still don't have data how any Hyperloop business model is going to look like and if it will ever make money, right? So mm -hmm. the cost is absolutely one of the problems uh, involved. And the fact that the problems were not technical were like, okay, so what do I do? Um, and then what I also realized is uh, if we want to solve transportation, if we want to solve mobility, there is so much that we can already do today with the regulations and uh, frameworks that we have, technology that we have today that would have as high an impact as the Hyperloop mm -hmm. uh, and is practical today inside of cities, which is why I started my PhD in the direction of integrating different modes of transportation and the way that PhDs work between what you start and what you deliver, there's like this huge gap. Uh, so that's what I wanted to do when I started my PhD, uh, was integrating different modes of transportation. That is not what I ended up doing in my PhD, but it is to some extent what I want to do in my startup. But that, but that's, well, it's my, my only wording here, but that's crazy because that experience took you to the, okay, now I need to do my PhD and want to pursue this. That's, that's cool, you know, like. Oh. You make it sound much more, much more decision-led than, than it was. You make it sound much more rational than it was. It was not that rational. It was like, okay, I finished the Hyperloop. Awesome. I know I don't want to continue this because what, are, what should we do in the next round? Uh, so what to do? And then I had several different options back then that were open. And for different reasons, each of them started not working out. And then PhD was like sort of the one that was left. And it's like, it's definitely not a bad option. No one will ever say that it's bad to do a PhD. There were no arguments against the PhD. And for me, like the big argument for doing a PhD was 
it would give me the time to decide what I actually wanted to do because I didn't know what I wanted to do because I was lost. So the PhD would give me the time and the flexibility to decide that. And B, my professor knew, I knew from day one that my professor was going to retire. So from day one, I knew I had my deadline, which meant that I have a clock ticking, uh, which means I couldn't get lost doing other things. And probably if it wasn't for that, I would never have done a PhD. Well, you did it. So just to... to... A doctorate, by the way, I didn't do a PhD, I did a doctorate. So there's a difference. It depends where you do it. If you do it in Germany, you're doing a doctorate. If you do it in the US, you're doing a PhD. I did a doctorate. Okay. My so professor would correct me if I said if he heard me saying I did a PhD. So you are now your title, official title, it's what doctor. is doctor? It's Doctor Fereanat, not PhD. A doctor. Yeah. Proud, Proud doctor. doctor. Yeah. Oh. No, it's super good, super good. I mean titles here, at least in Germany, are really, really well uh welcome. Good or bad, but whatever. I mean, it's part of the society. I, I always laugh when somebody is like, oh, call me here, doctor, professor, uh, engineer. This is like, okay, <laughs> too fun. And, and, and during your, your, your PhD, uh, you already, or, already mentioned why do you study it and in which direction you wanted to take it. Uh, what is this um, decision or what did, why did you chose to start MOWI? Sorry, I, sorry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was very passionate about integrating different modes of transportation because I do think that any type of solution that you find for, like, go back to the traffic problem, right? The Sao Paulo traffic problem. I think that any type of solution that actually has a chance of solving Sao Paulo's traffic problem will not involve a single mode of transportation. I really think it will involve a combination of different because there are so many different types of people going to from A to B that have completely different need and therefore so many different modes of transportation are needed and exist, right? Both, how many modes of transportation exist. Um, which is why I still to this day, I believe a lot in integrating many modes of transportation, uh, what we call multimodal uh, routing. So for me, multimodal is when you to use two different modes of transportation in the same ride. So something like, changing from a subway to a bus is multimodal. Something like taking the car to the end destination is not multimodal. Mm -hmm. uh, other examples of multimodal rides are something like taking your bike into to the subway station and continuing there with the subway, right? That's also multimodal route. Or park and ride, taking your car to the subway station, parking your car there and continue, also multimodal. Um, so that, that's a definition, sorry for my ignorance. So that's a definition of smart mobility, so optimized. That's a definition of multimodal transportation. Okay, okay. And so, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. So like in your opinion, the, the best way to solve that or to tackle that kind of issue, not only here in Germany, but also in other countries is to, to use what we already have and optimize on that or work on that. And integrate that better to other things we already have. So for me, the way to solve transportation definitely is through multimodal transportation mm -hmm. definitely yes uh i really think that the only way to solve is integrating the different modes of transportation one with each other much better and some cities in the world are starting to do that i mean many people have park and ride solutions worldwide mm -hmm. very few applications worldwide can actually calculate the multimodal route from such like getting the bike to the subway and continuing. Google Maps can to this day not do that for Munich, though they are starting to in some cities in Munich, but they still don't basically because of data availability. 
And yeah, those are things that uh, we started working on that movie actually does. So movie actually can calculate the route to take me take uh, the bike into the subway station and continue there with the U-Bahn. And so when yeah. when when you when you mention integrate, that was the, the key keyword there. So integrate, you mean involving technology uh, to no, involving more than one mode of transportation. Okay, and how do you use the technology to integrate these different? Ah, then we start talking about uh, then we start talking about graph theory. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful field of computer science. Probably the most beautiful field of computer science. Um, the math of graph theory is just it's just beautiful. Um, you can do a very nice graph theory optimization on how to calculate the multimodal route. Um, but yeah, how to in, uh, use the technology is, and uh, graph theory is also a point, right? If uh, graph theory is really one of these areas where if you want to find the optimal solution, it can get very complex. Uh, but what we can do is find an okay solution. Um, let's find a good enough one that works. And even if it is not the most optimal one in the world. Um, and what Mui started doing as well was adding several constraints uh to the whole thing to the route so we actually personalize the route much more than google maps does uh we can actually calculate a route where you would need to where you are allowed to configure give me a route where i will bike at least or at most uh five kilometers and then the um <laughs> um at most part is is easy enough to implement because if you're over it you just drop the route and look into a different one but at a graph theory level the at least one is a very interesting problem to solve which actually uh, was solved through a student uh, that i supervised during my phd very smart guy wow so so it just i'm just trying to follow up what you were saying uh, and it's like I, I don't have enough information to to say this or that is correct or so you, you correct me for that uh, but I understand that not all uh, transportation is managed from the same company. So, for example, uh, right now we have so many uh, apps for mobility yes. here. So, uh, what you're saying, uh, at least that's my understanding, is like how do you connect all all that possibilities to give you the best uh, or the the current best uh, form or way of transport yourself? Is that correct or it's like give you, giving you options of, okay, you, you need to use this service so or basically that. Basically what Mui does is that it gets the whole route calculation process that many other people do. And we add two layers to it. A, the personalization, all the constraints that I talked about and the integrating different modes of transportation that I talked about. And B, and the thing of it is when you do that, the first thing, uh, an interesting thing that happens is that the number of route possibility really gets really big because if you're using more than one mode of transportation, then you have so many routes to yeah. choose from. So what we do in MUI is that we sort these routes by sustainability. And then we bring in the whole sustainability aspect to it. because solving transportation, solving traffic isn't just about reducing the time stuck in traffic. It is also about doing something for the environment. And the sustainability aspect for me is very important. So one thing I can calculate, I can promise you is we, um, we does definitely calculate several different routes. The last one that we will ever show to the user is the car route. Mm -hmm. We will ever, uh, we actually sort the routes through which route emits less CO2. But, uh, okay. So now at least the picture that I have 
is way better than I would ever imagine, in my opinion, because there are so many companies working towards this same outcome, even though they don't know it, maybe. Because, you know, like there are companies that they are, in, whatever, trying to make their own way of transportation or make parking easier or whatever. But everybody working together and then linking them somehow, that's actually pretty good. Like for, for you know, like not only for Munich, but for, for the road. Yeah, yeah. Integrating the different, connecting the different uh, modes of transportation is definitely something that has a huge potential of solving a decent part of our transportation problem. There, basically, if you want to optimize traffic, there are two variables that you need to optimize for optimization. Um, the amount of CO2 emitted, so pollution is definitely a big one. And one that most people don't uh, imagine the importance is the number of people transported per square meter. Wow. The square meter part of it is so important. You know what? who are the bad guys of traffic? But the bad guys, the people who are responsible for causing traffic in the first place are the people who are sitting alone in their car. If you have two people already in the car, then you're already twice as good as the, uh, you're already using twice as less space than the person sitting alone in the car. And that means you are mapping everything in units. So this unit is square meter. Yes. Okay, yes. okay, okay. That's Pollution, great. CO2 and square meter. Those are the two uh -huh. variables to optimize for. Uh -huh. uh, which means that things such as car sharing has a huge concept. I do define car sharing, let's call it ride sharing. Let's call it ride sharing rather than car sharing. Ride sharing. Things such as ride sharing have a very big potential because in ride sharing, you have more than one person sitting in the same car. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, FYI, in case before somebody comes to me with a taxi argument, taxi does not count as two people because the driver is only there to drive from a you from A to B. It's the number of passengers, not the number of uh, people. It's the number of passengers. If you are driving yourself and someone else, then those are two passengers, and that's okay. If you're um, just driving your friend to the station, then you're not a passenger; you're a driver, so that's only one person per car. It's the number of passengers per square meter. That's one of the most important variables to optimize for. That's that's interesting. I, I mean, now that you're explaining it, now it makes sense. You know, that's yeah. that's one of the and things. people do not understand. People cannot begin to realize how bad it is to sit alone in their car for the entire city and the entire traffic. They think, what difference will my car make? It's just one car. It doesn't really matter. It makes a huge difference, and you can prove that mathematically. If anyone is interested, I can gladly show the math, the math behind it. And by, just to complement that, what do you think about um, uh, these uh, electric electric autos? Or hmm. because I heard somewhere, or I saw somewhere, that it looks good and it's functional. Maybe right now, I don't know if it's uh, business-wise viable or not. In, in I don't know in the present or in the future. But it's like, oh, I have a, a business that does not contaminate. The problem is that to do all the rest or the previous work to that, there was a lot of contamination somehow. So what do you think about like, um, yeah, e-autos and uh, the implications about it? Like present and It goes back to the two variables I was talking about, right? CO2 and uh, square meters. So square, if you're talking one person per car, uh, then electric cars don't make any difference whatsoever compared to normal cars. Really? They are just as bad as because they need the same space as a normal car, right? So if you look in the question square meters, they don't win a single point as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. 
but um, even though they use different source of energy. So that doesn't make that's one separate time, one separate time. We're not, we're not in the energy part yet. We're in the square meters part. In the square meters part, they don't, they don't gain any points. On the energy part, on the CO2 emission part, there is an interesting analysis to make. And my opinion of the end result of that analysis is it depends on where. So basically, you need to factor in the complete life cycle, not just the emissions per kilometer. Obviously, the emissions per kilometer tends to be uh, much smaller for electric cars than for internal combustion engines. Um, so there they do get points, but depending on where, the um, emissions that go into the energy generation that they need are as high as, uh, will emit as much as um, the few that are being output by um, combustion engine cars mm -hmm. in some places. It really depends on where, how, what is the energy that is fueling the electric cars? That's the first part. The second part is um, the production of these cars, um, which is then again, which is then again, it's so definitely depends on where and it's definitely a place where regulations could have a huge impact. Um, if in the production of it, you're emitting as much CO2 as um, mm -hmm. in other places, then you're also not getting um, a lot of uh, CO2 points. Um, and a big part of the component of electric vehicles is definitely the battery. And batteries are using lithium ion batteries and lithium production is something that in some parts of the world is uh, has questionable development uh, impacts, let's call it like that. Uh, so, but that really depends on the where. I must say that all these arguments, all the arguments that are being made against the electric cars, all of them can also be made against an, um, internal combustion engines. So the how the production is made uh, also really depends on where and which car and which manufacturer for uh, internal combustion engines. And basically at the end of the day is a question, how deep does the rabbit hole go? Yes. Uh, how much do you want to measure it? Um, in average, if you average and you don't optimize for the last centimeter and you go for a pragmatic average, uh, in average, at least in Europe, um, they do, they are more sustainable than uh, ICs. Uh, that's not an opinion, that's a fact, because the European energy mix um, is uh, increasing the renewable uh, percentage of it. And because Europe has strong production regulations, so in average in Europe, yes, that is, uh, they are more sustainable. That is definitely not true for everywhere in the world. The electric car, electric cars. Yes. Okay. 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 Wow, that's interesting. It brings us a lot to the sustainable development goals. Do you know what the sustainable development goals are? No. Um, there are seventeen goals that the United Nations came up with in two thousand and fifteen, uh, and they are the seventeen goals that, if humanity were to focus in only those seventeen goals. The, and the UN wanted to solve those 17 things by 2030, then we would have basically solved humanity and solved all of the world's problems. It's a list of the 17 things the world should really focus on. I, and in my opinion, anyone who is not working with one of the 17 SDGs can do something better for society. Well, so the SDGs, uh, SDGs are sustainable development goals. They do include things as zero hunger. And of course, it's really hard to achieve zero hunger, but you know what? One step at a time, you need to start somewhere, one step. They include things such as climate action, um, water beneath the ocean, gender equality, uh, not only, sorry, not only gender equality, but equality in general, because 
diversity is more than gender diversity and the UN does know that. Uh, uh, access to education. Um, I work a lot with my whole mobility work is a lot SDG 11, sustainable cities and communities. Um, and I can really recommend look up the 17 SDGs. Uh, SDG 17 is partnership for the goal. So basically connecting people who are working in the, all of them are very much interlinked with each other, right? Uh, so 17 is about connecting all the people working on each of them. Um, and yeah, and if you'll just look at the SDGs, it's, there's a beauty behind the simplicity of it. It seems so simple, 17 problems. That's all we need to solve. If you solve, there's health, there's education, there's poverty, there's climate action, 17 problems. That's all we need to solve to basically fix the world. Um, and of course, each of the problems is as big as zero hunger. Yes. Uh, and of course, none of the problems are easy to tackle individually. But if you go one step at a time and do like even the tiny step of not sitting alone in your car, if you're doing, if you're not sitting alone in your car, you're already doing something for SDG 11. I'm, I'm really grateful to hear this, uh, to be honest, uh, because I, I was not aware of it, but it, it definitely makes a difference if you know this before doing anything, because yes. it's, just, it's just like, that's one of the main problems I have identified in my life so far. Something that you didn't know it exists, but it's so important that you know yes. it. So I think the fact that you are sharing it, at least I want to check it. I will check it because, because it's a huge program. Uh, it's from the United Nations, and there mm. are people tackling this all over all, all over the world. And honestly, please, everyone, stop doing whatever you are and get yourself a job that does something for one of the 17 SDGs. You have 17 to choose from. Any of them will really make a big difference to the world. That's that's a good a good direction. I like SDG 11 because sustainable cities and communities. <laughs> And that's where sustainable mobility comes in. And I have a thing for sustainable mobility. Oh my God. No, that's cool. Because now, like, you know, my brain started thinking a lot of things and it makes sense because I have, I have interacted with people, like they are doing businesses or creating businesses or participating or finding, looking for a job and interacting with the, all these people, not only here in Germany, but also, for example, in Mexico or Latin America. And to see that there is a path of progress, human progress, that's the beauty of it. It's just like, Oh my God, there is a path. You don't need to invent it. You don't need to create something out of the blue. It's just like, there it is. You will help and you will contribute. And I think at least our generation is looking for contribution for getting some meaning out of our life in general, I would say, not everybody. But uh, so if you want something like that, then I think there is enough to do <laughs> about it. There really is. And none of the problems are small. They're all huge in size but they are very concrete and there are very concrete ways how to measure them and do something for them. And even small things like not sitting alone in your car and recycling your trash and eating less meat can have a huge impact. That's, but I think the first, if you ask me that you didn't, but if you ask me, um, if you ask me, then you first need information to make a decision. You need to be aware of it because uh, I think, at least in, from my own perspective, by, by being here in Germany, I see so many things that I was not able to see when I was in Mexico, just because of the fact that I was living there. Just coming out, it's like, oh shit, like, there are so many things you need to do. 
you start comparing, you start talking to other people, you start looking from the outside. It's like, oh my God. And I thought we were doing good, you know, like something like this, or we were not that bad, or maybe some things were not that bad. They're actually good. So yeah, yeah like just awareness in this case. Amazing. Yes. Everyone, please research the SDGs, do something for them. That's I will, my I will. call of action. My call of action to end this. Let's change the world. I will I will do some research and we'll share about it because I, I also want to help about this. I think it's pretty good. And uh, just to before asking you the questions of the uh, that the audience made for you, just a quick uh, soundbite of a soundbite answer, please, about um, uh, how do you think about human future in space? Like, do you think we're going out and colonize just in your own opinion? Or we have enough problems here to solve, so don't worry about that. Both. <laughs> Both. Let's put it like this. Humans and space is not one of the 17 SDGs. <laughs> it is a very cool topic. It definitely is very interesting. Um, and I'm definitely happy if someone gets it to work. Um, yeah. Would you go to space if you have the chance? I mean, hell to yeah. yeah, and come hell back. yeah. If I was rich enough, if I was rich enough to buy myself one of these tickets of rich people to hire, uh, hell yeah, I'm the first one on the list. I'm not rich enough, sorry. If someone wants to pay me the tickets, uh, donations accepted. Well, you're you're still young, young enough at least to just still. Um, you need to just get some more money work on the on the on these seven problems and then you will get some and then you can eventually with technology and business you can don't get me wrong it's amazing it's really amazing 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 it's you, well, definitely I... like amazingly interesting and it's like the purest form of engineering i i think it's like the excitement of the you know like it's new yes, it's excitement. It's excitement and i and it's actually not true what i said uh, it's not true that they don't do anything about the SDGs because they do do something. One of the SDGs is about education and the excitement of um, space travel definitely does a lot for the education SDGs. So it's actually not true that it doesn't do anything. And research and development because uh, like we need more and better technologies to reach that point. We, getting people motivated about engineering is something that space travel definitely does and is something that definitely has a huge potential with many of the SDGs. See, it was a good question. <laughs> now maybe you change a little bit your your I mind. Did, I did change a little bit my mind. It's okay. It's okay. Then, if it's okay with you, we are gonna continue with a couple of questions. So, because we took in, enough time of this conversation, I'm pretty pretty happy and glad that we did. And I want first to uh, to um, like thank you for taking the time and um, give us some of your knowledge and your wisdom uh, from your expertise. No, you have your own. You have your own. You have your own wisdom. Everybody right. has. If that's what we're calling it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think so. I, I think you can learn. It doesn't matter how preferred one person is. You can always learn something as long as as long as you are welcoming the new information. So that that's why I'm, I'm uh, naturally curious. That's why. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. So if I I have more many more questions or the audience. I will invite you back to come, <laughs> you know? So um, let's go for the questions. Okay, so in total, well, we have this couple of questions. So first question is from Emmanuel. Uh, he's an industrial engineer and this question comes from Facebook. Is how does the finance works for the Hyperloop projects? 
because mm -hmm. if you're a student, how do you get the finance to build that thing? Does it come from a from government, from private? Or, or is, so if you asked about the student, I'm assuming the question is about the competition, not about the Hyperloop as a transportation means. Yeah, yeah, to build it just for the competition. For the competition for the competition. Students, uh, sponsoring, 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 sponsoring. Writing many companies and many people about sponsoring. Uh, shout out to Airbus who gave us our biggest check and was our biggest sponsor. Shout out to TNG who was our first sponsor who gave us money when we were literally 13 slides of, of PowerPoints. Uh, so sponsoring different people at different times in the project will give you different amounts of money depending on how they like you. Okay, and and they, but is is that only the only thing? Like, do they like you, or is they also? Oh, well, no, it means prove that you need to prove that you're good, and you need to prove that, that the technology works. And I mean, huge shout out for TNG for giving us um, money when we were just uh, PowerPoints. Uh, a few slides of PowerPoint. By the time we got money from Airbus, which was much, much, much more money, um, we had already proved that it was after we came up, we came back from Texas and we had already proved that our design was good and that it had been approved by SpaceX and the tech and the engineering behind it was good enough. I mean, you do need to prove that you're good at what you're doing. But basically go out, talk to people, show them and prove to them that you're good, make them like you, be nice. Honestly, this gets underrated, just be nice. Be nice and prove to them that you know what you're talking about and sponsoring. And you can get some good finance. Yeah. So the second question also comes from Emmanuel. Um, he asked what kind of um, like a checklist or what kind of requirements does... Uh, wait, because I'm translating. So that's why I'm kind of like... Okay. Uh, what, are, what are the requirements from a country or from a city in general? Because obviously regulations are different everywhere in the world, but what kind of the general regulations or requirements does a city needs to approve to somebody to start one of these projects to, to build it in the, in, the, in the city or in the country? Which, what do you mean with one of these projects? Transportation projects? Yeah, or? The, he's talking about the same, the Hyperloop. This, uh, the Hyperloop, okay. Yeah. Oh, what type of requirements a city needs to approve in order to build a Hyperloop? If you're asking about the construction of a full-scale Hyperloop as a mean of transportation, then definitely the first of them is money. Mm -hmm. uh, having enough money to build is definitely a hard one. If that is not a problem, and that usually is a problem, the rest of the things are things we can find solutions to. So for example, there's the discussion if you should do it overground or underground. Um, and the answer to that question is, it depends. There are cities where you can only do underground because simply finding an overground straight line. So one of the uh, components being you need as straight as line as possible, connecting origin and destination. And sometimes finding a straight line between two good origin and destinations can be really, really hard. Yeah. Uh, just because you don't have the space because cities are so packed already, right? And in those cases, it does make a lot of sense to build it underground. If you are Dubai to Abu Dhabi, where you have a huge desert in between, then you can do it overground as well. Mm -hmm. um, different costs in different places. Uh, in some places, it's very expensive to do underground. Some places, it's really expensive to do overground. So um, definitely one of the big ones of one of the big requirements is a high enough traffic or a high enough flow between two cities. So um, it, so cities with many people going back and forth with, um, are usually the best ones. Cities that are, let's say, 
in the LA, range between LA and San Diego or something like this. Like huh? LA to San Diego or something like this. Uh, LA to San Francisco is the original one that Elon Musk talked about. LA to San Francisco is the original one. In Germany, I always talked about Munich to Berlin because many people going back and forth. In Brazil, you could definitely talk São Paulo, Rio de Janeiro. Definitely, yes. Um, it would probably be, make less sense to build a hyperloop between São Paulo and Ribeirão Preto, where my family is from. Shout out to Ribeirão Preto. Uh, <laughs> Uh, because the travel there is a bit smaller. Um, so having enough people going back and forth, because that makes a difference on the economic side and the money side. If you have many people, you have more money uh, to pay off. Um, distance is also a big one. So there's also the distance range where it makes sense would be something between 100, at more than 100 kilometers and less than 1,000 kilometers, less than 800 kilometers, something like that. So for example, I don't think we will have a Hyperloop anytime soon between Munich and Sao Paulo, simply because flying is cheaper than building an evacuated tube across the Atlantic. Um, but cities that, basically these cities where, you know these very stupid flights where you just go up, fly for two minutes and go down? Those are the flights that are very good for Hyperloop, topic, uh, for Hyperloop. flights. Places that uh, have several flights per day with less than three hours flight or good Hyperloop, um, oh, Europe, or good Europe. Hyperloop uh, pairs. So Europe could be connected. In, in like Europe could definitely be connected. Europe could definitely be connected. And there are companies working on it. Oh my God, crazy. Okay, so the third and last question comes from Eduardo Matos. I think you know him from LinkedIn. Uh, he's, yes. He asks, could working from home improving sustainability and mobility in big centers as long-term policy? As long-term policy, uh, he knows exactly my opinion to this. Um, so definitely, there's difference between theory and practice, right? In theory, definitely yes. In theory, definitely, definitely, definitely yes. Um, and my opinion about Corona is everyone who's talking about sustainability, the dream of sustainability is the behavioral change. Corona proved that the behavioral change is possible. It, it, from one day to the next, everyone was working from home, from home. So it means that the behavioral change is possible. Corona, uh, for me, that's the biggest advantage of Corona, is Thank it change that it is possible. No one can ever say that it's hard to change, to fight climate change. Uh, corona destroyed that argument. Thank you very much. Um, so in, a long, in theory, definitely yes. In practice, I read something um, on the internet last week sometime uh, in 2020, saying before we start talking about how much we want to go back, let's decide how much of the old life is worth going back to. And I think that's really the case. I've, I, I don't think we should go back to everything that we were doing. I think that is horrible for the environment and those are really things that desperately need a change. And so let's try to be optimistic and maybe maybe we can uh, keep home officing more and you definitely do not need to get into a flight for a two-hour meeting that can happen online almost everything can happen online right right now like nowadays corona said yes right <laughs> in 2019 most people would have answered no to that question in 2020 many answered yes that's that's really good so uh, with that, we can uh, really close to the to the questions. And I want to thank you very much again for uh, the time you, talk, you took, and um, uh, also the the interest of participating. I think I'm really glad and grateful for it. And um, just one last question that I would like 
you personally to share with us. Uh, what would you tell to, that's, that comes from me, what would you tell to either women or young women that wants to uh, participate in one of these 17, solve, solve to one of these 17 problems or participate also into the STEM uh, programs? Get started, just do it. Honestly, just do it. Uh, on the technology side, we discussed a lot. There's everything you can learn online. You don't need more than an internet access access and time. On the SDG side, there are a lot that you can do even just by changing your personal life. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or men, everyone can do something for them. Everyone can do something for them. Everyone can recycle better than they do. And everyone thinks it doesn't make a difference. It makes a huge difference. Everyone can eat one less meat per week. Everyone can take one less ride per car and maybe walk and maybe take someone with you everyone can do something many of these changes are not big okay just so do it honestly just, just do it stop making excuses and just do it okay big changes start from no. small changes okay yes one step Personal at a time changes. one step at a time one step start, start with one step and you know what then you start recycling then you tell your friend that you start uh, recycling and explain to her uh, how it is and that's two people recycling and that's the one next step and then like one step at a time Let's finish with that. I love it. One step at a time. So thank you, everybody. Thanks, thanks for hearing this and uh, see you all and have a good holidays. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invite. And happy happy holidays. Happy New Year for everyone. So, hey, thank you, everybody, for coming to this podcast, listening to it. I hope you liked it as much as I did having this conversation. If you like this conversation with Mariana and you would like to have more or you want to hear more like this, please let me know in my social media channels. You can find me as Dario Gutiesco in Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn or Twitter. So I wish you really, really good holidays to all of you. Bye bye.